Hey, Pete. Hey, Aaron. Get ready to start Trek, the next generation. Excellent. came up with a Wheel of the Watch title for this one. Great, let's do it. Start Trek welcomes you to Van Halen's The Best of Borg Worlds. Great, I'm glad we don't do that on this show based on that <laughs> particular specific one that's been coming up. Off to with. a great start. You know what, I gotta, look, I've been tossing this around in my head the all day. Best of Borg Worlds. How does an Australian tell you that someone is being duplicitous. How, Aaron? It's a trick. It's <laughs> good. That's good. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, what, are, what is this? So this what is this? <laughs> uh, this is Start Trek. It is a spin-off show of We Love to Watch that is based on the fact that I, Aaron Armstrong, one of the hosts, uh, realized that Peter Moran, the other host of We Love to Watch, for years and years and years, and he had never seen anything Star Trek besides the 2009 reboot and the sequel Into Darkness, and myself had been a lifelong Star Trek fan, somewhat of an obsessive, especially about the next generation. Uh, and so we decided to start a podcast where we go through, I kind of take Peter on this journey through Star Trek, the original series, and uh, more specifically, the movies. Uh, we've done that by going through the original six movies and pairing them with uh, episodes of Star Trek, the original series, to kind of get him used to the show while showing him the movies or fill in gaps that are going to be important or fill not fill in gaps, but fill in uh, important moments in the in the show that correspond to the movies. So Peter knows what the fuck's going on or why you should care about certain characters. And now we've we've passed Star Trek six and we're we're slowing it down a little bit. We're doing a couple of preambles of episodes before we get into the first a few next generation movies. Uh, so what that means is last week we did an intro to Star Trek, the next generation showing him a few episodes that are generally considered uh, or well regarded. So yesterday's enterprise, Darmok, uh, the measure of a man. Uh, we introduced him to the crew with encounter at Farpoint because Star Trek, the next generation had an actual intro episode where all the characters met each other and introduced themselves for the first time. Unlike the original series. Um, we were then go and then I filled him in on uh, one of the two arcs that kind of continue in uh, in Star Trek Generations, which is kind of the Klingon Civil War. Uh, it doesn't continue in the same way that um, it's a sequel, but it features some components of that that make more sense if you know why certain characters are uh, where they are. And then before we do Star Trek Generations, we're gonna do. Uh, the other, uh, the other little sequel, or sorry, let me take that over again. And then before we do Star Trek Generations, we're going to do a little preamble of some of the story beats in the other arc that's finished off in Star Trek Generations by uh, doing Data Lore and Brothers. That's what we were going to do originally this week. We were going to do Data Lore, Brothers, Star Trek Generations, but we decided 
instead of doing the movie, then taking a break and filling in the Borg stuff before First Contact, it made more sense to continue slowing it down a little with some more Star Trek The Next Generation episodes. These specifically to get Peter prepared before First Contact, although eagle-eared listeners will note there is one part of these four episodes that we did that does feature heavily in Star Trek Generation. So it, it kind of all worked out pretty well. We got a chance to do two blocks of Next Generation episodes, and then we're going to go into pairing the movies with one or two episodes tops uh, all the way through uh, Star Trek Nemesis before we slow it down a little more before we get back into the reboots. So yeah, so this these four episodes are really not all of the Borg episodes in The Next Generation, but the four that really prelude into or prelude into First Contact. Uh, people who watch Star Trek The Next Generation will know there's a couple other uh, Borg episodes, which I, which I actually don't mind kind of mentioning in that, but they are really about like outcast Borgs that have um, been disconnected from the collective. And so there, uh, a couple of them are very good episodes, but they don't really tie into the Borg as a uh, as a mythology, as a as a species, uh, as much as these episodes do. Uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation Borg episodes were very very light. There was only five total. Uh, those are Q Who, uh, The Best of Both Worlds, and then uh, later on, uh, I Borg and Descent. But uh, it's not really until Star Trek Voyager, and Peter, I'm saying this also as a little education for you, where the Borg just be kind of come the recurring vi- villains of the week and lose a lot of their mystery in the process. Uh, but they were always, for for kind of obvious reasons, the if the Klingons were the biggest antagonists to... Uh, the Star Trek crew in the original series, uh, Klingons slash Romulans, depending on where you fell. The Borg was really one of the only species in The Next Generation that was just kind of there for destruction, not there to have diplomacy, not there for anything else. They were just a kind of almost typical alien bad guy species that you don't see that often on Star Trek. And that's why uh, they even being featured on such few episodes – they uh, became such a such a fan favorite, and then also, uh, you know, uh, a the 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 focal point of the second Next Generation movie, which is considered by many to be the best of that series. So those four episodes are Q Who, which introduces us to the Borg, and also has a little uh, reminder of who Q is. We not the last that we've seen of him on our journey, uh, but I would also say one of the least interesting Q-specific appearances. Uh, And then The Best of Both Worlds, part one and part two, which really we're going to spend a lot of time talking about those because that not only had a profound impact on The Next Generation's... uh, uh, The Next Generation's... uh, The way... Had a profound impact on the way Next Generation was viewed by the public in general and really is still listed as one of the best uh, finales or episodes of television of all time on many, many lists. Uh, And then Family, which is the rare direct sequel Star Trek episode that's not part of a two-parter that recognizes that the events in Best of Both Worlds were uh, pretty big. And takes some time to pause and sit with it for a little bit. And we're going to talk about how that was one of the biggest fights ever to get made for a Star Trek Next Generation episode. Uh, But yeah, 
Peter, so we watched all those. We're going to get right into the episodes. This isn't going to be like last week. We don't have nine episodes to get through. A lot of fun stuff to talk about here. So, but before we get into episode specifics, which will go in order, this is the first time you've seen the Borg, but you were somewhat aware of them. Yeah. Uh, I love the Borg and like pop culture, man. I'm a big fan of assimilation, uh, you know, alien species that are really into assimilation. It figures heavily into a lot of my favorite sci-fi, Neon Genesis Evangelion and like, I don't know, like kind of anything that's like, even in like the Halo mythos, which I don't like love in particular, but like a lot of great sci-fi is based in this idea that um, for uh, for good or for bad, uh, there's a force out there that's offering to kind of take away all your pain, all your struggle, but in return take your take away your independence sort of undo uh the 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 uh, taking away in the apple in the garden of eden so to speak um your willpower your your ability to have you know gain independent knowledge um all of that is kind of sapped away from you um in service to the whole um so you that that those kind of arcs uh and say is it it's no surprise that i've like i've like written a lot of fiction about uh this particular kind of uh this particular kind of uh species alien species uh, uh, it's not really borgy at all but uh it's always been something that's really appealed to me and i i think maybe i i think i saw part of a borg episode or borg movie on when i was on t- uh, on tv when i was a kid uh, possible there's only one which means you've seen part of first contact yes and I, I i saw so i guess i saw part of first contact on tv when i was a kid and it like scared the hell out of me and because of who i am um that actually just planted a seed instead of planting like a, a warning sign for me and i was like oh someday i'm gonna love like someday i'm gonna really get into this but when i was a kid the idea of having these like bolts and shit drilled into your face and you you're comp- you, all of your independence is sapped away and you just kind of become like a, a computer man uh all that was scary as shit to me as a kid and it's so fun to actually be able to see the the source of it because i just didn't i didn't seek it out when i i actually got old enough that i could i could find all this stuff and, and enjoy it yeah and they really that movie if you saw someone turn into a borg they make it more um cinematic in a lot of different ways and turn it more into a horror movie uh and so uh not a spoiler for first contact but the borg assimilate by like almost immediately like they just inject something into you and the implants start popping out of your skin oh yeah <laughs> and you turn into a borg and like uh about the time it takes for someone to turn into a zombie in 28 days later oh oh so even less than like a werewolf transformation yeah, you don't, they don't need to assemble you. Like they don't need to lay level. you down on the slab. They're just like, inject, boop, 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 you're a Borg now. <laughs> so uh, no Tetsuo Iron Man thing where it takes like 60 minutes. No. Uh, which, th- we'll talk about this a lot when we do First Contact. But First Contact rules as a as a movie, as a science fiction adventure action movie. Um Star Trek Generations, I think, rules as like the first adaptation of uh of Star Trek the Next Generation. Uh First Contact makes a choice to decide that Picard and 
Picard is not only the main character, which I guess all the movies do, but also decide that, uh, hey, is is Patrick Stewart, is he basically John McClane? Um, <laughs> which is a little bit of a mistake, I think. So it's a, it's a great movie that really is there. It doesn't serve the characters themselves very well, uh, which is my biggest problem with most of the Next Generation movies, even if uh, two of them I enjoy quite a bit uh, as just like a uh, uh, big budget uh, sci-fi movies, as were uh, as were the original series movies, I think, kind of take the best of those characters and really expand upon them while being true to them. But we'll get there. Uh, so the Borg in this movie. So uh, go ahead. I got the sense. I got the sense. Let's let's just you know uh, from your your sort of Trexpert ex- yeah. experience. Um, I got the sense watching the original movies that you were like the movies are actually kind of uh, a growth and uh, a, a movement forward, and like the movies are better than a lot of the the original series. Are you saying it's kind of the inverse here that the original series is is uh, is a uh, more interesting and nuanced and. The movies are, are largely just kind of, uh, you know, sci-fi action, pretty simple kind of uh, stories, or is that too too pat? No, I think that's true. I think the – so the best of the original series, the best of the best can be found in the movies. And the best of the best of The Next Generation can be fi- found on the show. Uh, and it actually has, like, a movie that's pretty terrible. I would say even worse than Star Trek V. And a movie that's like, okay, well, that was like a – okay episode of the series somehow stretched into feature length with a bunch of weird <laughs> stuff like it's it's weird too because generations I, well, I i'm interested in what you think about that as a movie but i really love that movie it's actually probably my favorite next generation movie it's not too big um but it, it changes the characters in some interesting ways it, it finds moments for most of the characters and then kind of does a cool, a couple fun things as an extremely compelling villain. And it is fun to see Shatner and Picard, like, f- like discuss how they would handle a problem. Or, like, I don't want to ruin too much of it, but, like, seeing those two very clearly defined characters have to, like, team up um, is very fun. Like, I really do love that movie. Star Trek First Contact is an amazing piece of sci-fi action blockbuster entertainment. Just, like, I mean, I, I it was a movie that, like, I walked out of it and wanted to go right back in. And I still feel that way. It is a movie I could watch ten times in a row and probably never get bored. It is also, though, like, as a, like, truly taking the Picard that we knew in the show and respecting his character, it that does not happen. Uh, it also does – while it makes the Borg more interesting horror villains, it also takes away some parts of what makes them special. So it's like one of those things where it takes away things that I really liked about certain components of the show for the sake of making a big, fun action blockbuster that anyone can follow for the most part. And then the next two movies are just varying degrees of garbage. I'm pretty comforted to compartmentalize 
even the bad Trek movies or the Trek movies that feel a little small um, or they don't feel like they're as epic as, you know, a movie in theaters should feel. I'm not watching any of these movies in theaters. Um, yeah. I'm watching them at home in between episodes. So largely I see them as almost like special TV movies in a sense. Um, and I've liked every movie we've done so far, even uh, even uh, five. That's the one with the prison planet and such, right? Yeah. Yeah, even that one, which I, I wasn't I wasn't like Gaga over, but I just saw it as like, oh, this is one. Of, this is like maybe like an off brand kooky episode uh, as opposed to they fucked it. Now I have to wait, you know, <laughs> X number of years or maybe I'll never see another Star Trek movie again. Like, I don't have any of that weight behind it, which means like I, I can actually be far more forgiving to the movies that don't quite hit the mark. Like, I, I, I think we were all pretty darn positive on Star Trek three. Yeah. With Christopher Lloyd, you know, it's no Wrath of Khan. It's not a movie I'll like buy on Blu-ray and like cherish and rewatch. But like Christopher Lloyd chokes us a, a space snake. Like, yeah. What's there not to like? Yeah, I think that even the even the poorly considered Star Trek original series have. I don't know. They're 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 not like at the le- at the very least they're not bland, and I think Star Trek Insurrection and Star Trek Star Trek Insurrection is bland, and Star Trek Nemesis is like, what if we hire a guy that's never seen a Star Trek, which they did, and who didn't seem to care about Star Trek, which he didn't seem to, uh, to remake Wrath of Khan, but a bad one. <laughs> um, <laughs> It's it's just a really bad movie. Uh, it does have one of Tom Hardy's first role though, so that'll be fun for you. Uh, I saw. I, I the, that's another bit of Star Trek. Like uh, I've never seen a frame of that movie, but I've seen. Uh, I have weirdly enough seen his like people complain about Tom Hardy in that movie and uh, the audition tape where they have like. Uh, him and Patrick Stewart squaring off against one another. Yeah. Uh, I have seen that and people are like, wait, what happened to this performance? Like Tom Hardy's amazing in this like little, this little, the small scene. Uh, what did, what did the director do to him or what did he do to himself between now and what, what happened on film? You know? Yeah. It's, uh, it might've been a table reading. I I remember Tom Hardy being good. It is just like in the same way that into darkness doesn't seem to know how to like, do track in any capacity they're like oh they like that one movie where the guy dies and comes back right we should probably kill someone like it's like <laughs> it's that type of thing that doesn't really make any sense anyways I, but one thing that's so great about this experiment for for good and ill is that i don't know if you're gonna be like oh it's it's kind of weird that they made patrick stewart an action hero in like in uh in star trek eight nine and ten like it doesn't make any sense. He's not. He's very much not an action hero on Next Generation. And they. I mean, him- he definitely. It definitely is based on family. I mean, he he is. He's able to uh, tackle a, a drunken French seventy-year-old, which is something that only a true action, a true John McClane could could perform. What's funny is, and we're gonna actually watch this as a prep for him being an action star. But there is a Star Trek Next Generation episode where it's Die Hard with Patrick Stewart. Um, and it rules, but it's still like Die Hard with Patrick Stewart. Uh, I'm I'm, fi- I'm kind of fine with I'm kind of fine with like shows having episodes where it's like, yeah, this character is more nuanced than normal. But here's your Die Hard episode. You like there's this terrible show, The Blacklist. 
and I don't recommend anyone watch it. Um, but for some reason, I watched two seasons of it. Um, uh, but they they have a two part Die Hard episode with Ron Perlman as like the Jeremy Irons dash Alan Rickman. Yeah. Um, you know, like the, the mastermind. But I don't mind when shows do an episode where I'm like, yeah, this kind of erases the nuance of the character. But in a sense, you're just showing us a different facet of the character. And so I actually may, uh, you know, what jumping back to what I said a few minutes ago. I may be totally comfortable with Picard going down that road because, like, in a sense, I'm 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 kind of just viewing the movies as like big TV specials, <laughs> and yeah. I'm not viewing them as like theatrical films, really, um, and that that I need to wait years for and like convince my dad to take me. I'm seeing them just kind of mixed in with the show. So, like, to me, like having an it'll feel like you know a special TV episode. But if they maybe if it but I, I, we'll see maybe if it betrays yeah. what I think the actual character is, I'll be bothered but like right now i'm like yeah that'd be fun you get to see him in less of his sort of controlled role but in a role where he has to like i don't know use his boot camp training he hasn't used in 20 years yeah it will be interesting i mean so much it's it's something like so uh first contact is a movie that i i no problems with when i first saw it and as i've watched it when i when i'm gotten older i recognize some things they did to his character for the sake of drama that don't make a lot of sense and don't feel organic but that's how I feel after watching, you know, Patrick Stewart and Next Generation for how many years and then how many years after. You might not feel the same way. I would be surprised if you take really strongly to Insurrection. Ins- insurrection felt very much like, huh, okay. Like, why would you do – for your next movie, that's the idea? Like, you just did a movie about saving Earth from the Borg. The movie before that, the stakes are – the universe is going to blow up and uh, movie three, your stakes are 150 people we've never met before are going to get relocated. <laughs> seems like seems odd. <laughs> yeah. But that's the thing about movies is like I, I, I can care about the fate of one character that's, as much as right. I can care about the, the fate of a fucking cruise ship going off of, into a volcano or something. Yeah. Also, I haven't seen Insurrection or Nemesis in a long goddamn time. So it'll be fun for me to revisit. But we're well ahead of ourselves. We're here to talk about Borgs, specifically Borgs and when people touch Borgs. So I'm going to set this up a little bit. Can you explain um, what Borg, the etymology of the word Borg? Yeah, it's based on the famous tennis player, <laughs> Robert Borg. Whoa, because he was like a robot on the court. Uh, specific, his name may have been Robert Bork, and he may have been a Supreme Court judge. Wasn't there a tennis player named Borg? I have absolutely no. I, I don't think I can Borg. name a tennis player that's not John Rack- McEnroe. Borg. Oh, yeah. Borg oh, versus the, McEnroe. The, the Williams sisters. Yep. Um, oh, Bjorn yeah, Borg. It. Yep. So it's they're Swedish. <laughs> if you can't tell because they're so white, Peter. Uh, Bjorn Borg is Swedish. So it says on the Wikipedia thing I just pulled up. Huh. Yeah. So Bjorn Borg was like uh, was like uh, it's basically talking about the ills of socialism, the Borg Collective. <laughs> the basically because Swedish yeah. is Swedish is basically a socialist country country and the writers in star trek were uh you know extremely american extremely capitalist and they were like how can we show the era of uh, the errors of going down socialism i know we'll show a uh, uh a race of people that's all white like the swedes 
that uh, violently assimilates people to having no will for the sake of the extremely indoor kids. Extremely indoor. Well, pale. Yeah, I think it's just it's because they're up north. Maybe I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I'm at the Borg, not the Swedes. But they're they're like they're like uh, <laughs> also specifically Bjorn Borgs. Uh, the Borg are also up north. In, if you think of space is up and north is also up, depending on how you're holding your compass. Uh, yeah. So essentially, the Borg are like. So you think compasses would be extremely useless in space? <laughs> they're saying, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you need a you need a, a spherical compass that points in a lot of different ways. Uh, yeah. But essentially, the Borg are like, or Star Trek uh, creation of the Borg is like, hey, sure you like public libraries, but pretty soon. You fall down and trip, and they take stuff out of your neck, and you dissolve. So, <laughs> okay, as someone who's like written stuff in the sort of like assimilation race uh, view, and like I, uh, you're right. Authors are always pretty against. Not always. Neon uh, Genesis Evangelion isn't doesn't totally take that tack, but authors are pretty much always uh, pretty anti. Uh, anti the assimilation race uh, oh i thought you meant it, it, anti-libraries because that's it, how you can read their book for free <laughs> i prefer to live the life of an author uh but not actually have that many people read my books um, not for free not for free baby um <laughs> cash grass or ass that's the way you read my book most people get to the book game for that cold hard cash <laughs> Uh, but my point is, I think I've got a theory on this. One is obviously the Cold War. I mean, that's the that's the obvious part. It's like the Cold War taught us to because do... they look so cold, because they look so chilly. Because someone they're... warm up those Borgs. But here's the thing: when the Borgs be nice and warm, because they're all huddled together to a pod, they yeah. clarify in the best of both worlds. I mean, they're still like it may be one pod, but they're not like huddled they're for two, warmth. They each get like two peas a pod. They, it's like they're on opposite sides of a door. Yeah, I imagine all that metal is cold. Oh, it's cold, baby. Yeah. So I've got a theory. So obviously, there's the communist thing, or the you know the socialist thing, where it's like this fear of of communism that like these uh, these uh, robotic masses. Uh, a lot of it is also comes out of like directly out of like. Um, uh, like a uh, fear of the Chinese and fear of like North Koreans that they're all these robot people that are going to rise up and, and kill us like stuff that like was born in born in our, co- our culture in like the 50s and we have not been able to shake it actually not born sorry festered really heavily in our in our culture in the 50s and we weren't able to shake it it was probably born from like the British occupation of China anyways um and and uh, throughout our the U.S. Cold War, we sort of became fearful, and like our way of like teaching teaching it to the to the socialists was by being fiercely independent, and it birthed such um, uh, horrible monsters as Ayn Rand. Um, and we started getting these figures, these like Randian figures, um, who were very influential, even in ways that they didn't realize. And uh, sci-fi is a genre that is, is, is very interesting because in some ways, deeply progressive, deeply forward thinking. It's deep, very much about like d- uh, different cultures being uh, valid and, and, you know, the future being a place where we've, we've, we've put aside things like race and class or we put aside stuff uh, like, uh, you know, petty fractional uh, factional uh, uh, squabbles to actually get to, you know, maybe, I don't know, re- restart our son or whatever the fuck they do in the Isaac Asimov books. Um, 
And uh, they that's that's a one sort of obvious culprit is that like sci-fi uh, at times would even in that environment uh, pass on sort of uh, anti anti-communist, anti-socialist messaging, Hollywood and authors. The next part, I think, is because authors like to think that they're beautiful, wonderful little snowflakes and everything that comes out of them is beautiful. And they they very much fear the idea that uh, that maybe their their beautiful, wonderful minds would be um, uh, in any way dulled by the averaging of an assimilation race. So like in some ways, it's like it's like you get it. It's scary in the, in the scale of like the Borg. But in another way, like fear of these assimilation races very much comes out of um, conservative elements in our, our uh, cultural history. Yeah, I mean, that could definitely play a part into uh, where the Borg come from specifically, um, or, or just the concept of that kind of assimilation force, which you're right. Isn't like wholly new to sci-fi or horror, uh, concepts. I can speak a little bit, uh, not to, not to, well, actually, cause I don't mean it this way at all, but, uh, like from a logistical standpoint, uh, the Borg came from, the so the original big antagonist of next generation which we've talked about a little last week was going to be the ferengi uh you know romulans they were actually going to try to avoid using the romulans at all there was a while where they planned to not use anything that was in the original series so no romulans no klingons no vulcans like nothing which makes no fucking sense it was very weird very weird they they went like this was a Gene Roddenberry thing too, where he was like really focused on like it's not um it's not it's its own thing. Like, don't compare it to the original series, because everyone was comparing it to the original series, and he stuck to that <laughs> from inception on, to the point that like a lot of the Does he think he would the project would be off the ground if he didn't? I know. Well, with <laughs> with writers, a lot of the writers, like, they would pitch these sequel ideas to Star Trek, uh, the original series episodes, because a lot of those had Twilight Zone endings, right? Where they left a tricorder or something on a planet, and then the credits rolled. And they'd be like, what if Picard ends up back at that planet, and now we have this, like, recording of Spock, or they visited, like, let's do something like that. The fans will like it. It's a really interesting concept. We have 80 years separating. Like, what happened? Tricorder. Like it's the it, thing they have in their hand that flips up. That they scan stuff with all the time. Oh, so it's like their their smartphone. They're reading QR codes and shit. Yeah, anytime they're like scanning for life forms and they have something in their hand or something, it's it's called a tricorder. Anyways, okay, so they were on. they would pitch these like sequel to original series episodes, and they'd be like, no, 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 it, we can't call attention. We're already getting compared too much. And a lot of the writers were like, you know, if we had a little more confidence in ourselves, in the moment we may have gotten pushback. But it may it, it really limited us what we were trying to do a lot of time with Star Trek The Next Generation. So even though Star Trek Next Generation became, I think, one of the best sci-fi shows of all time, arguably the best Star Trek show, it was partially there through all these these crazy limitations that everyone put on because so many people were rooting against it. We're going to actually talk a, a lot about that in this little stretch of episodes. So the Borg start. So originally, the big new enemies were going to be the Ferengi. They were featured in the seventh episode called "The Last Outpost," and 
they were both poorly received and very hard to write for because ultimately what the Frangi wanted, this is how they, they, they wrote them and realized they couldn't figure out how to use them as like an antagonist, is uh, kind of an offensive stereotype. They were misogynist, so they would just be like, why are your women clothed all the time? And their entire thing was like money. They wanted to accumulate wealth and money and platinum, and that's all they cared about was how they could – they were basically like, how can we – create a scheme to kidnap stuff to get money which doesn't work in star trek really because especially the next generation uh because they don't need money so this idea of them constantly trying to get profits and money just didn't really work and instead kind of became these pitiful creatures to the next generation crew and they realized that very quickly that the ferengi just were not working as a like primary antagonist um they eventually found some interesting things to do with the Ferengi in Deep Space Nine. Uh, but, yeah, they, they they were never threatening. And they really wanted something that was intimidating and threatening. So, they had this, like, idea of what if people are getting infected by an alien species? We never really see that Lovecraftian horror part of Star Trek where it's like literally uh, having your your free will taken from you and people aren't who they say they are. They eventually kind of get that right in Deep Space Nine as well. But uh, the there's a there's a great one of one of the only really good first season episodes that we didn't talk about is one called Conspiracy that never really goes anywhere uh, larger plot wise. But it's like the highest levels of the Federation have been uh, infiltrated by these parasites that are taking over people uh, and Picard and Riker end up stopping. them. Uh, and then at the end of the first season, they wanted something big. And it was supposed to be a two-parter, and they ended up not doing it. They Actually, The Best of Both Worlds is the first two-parter, which comes at the end of the third season. And the Rom- it's called The Neutral Zone, and the Romulans show back up. They're like, hey, we haven't been paying attention since you and the Klingons made peace, but we are announcing our presence back in the sector. And the reason it brings them out of hibernation is that they're investigating these planets where the colonies have been scooped out. Um, which they mention in Best of Both Worlds. They say it's just like those colonies along the neutral zone. They never solve the mystery. They don't work with the Romulans. There's no resolution in the time, but that's what brings them together. And then they confront the Romulans. Um, but ultimately what they wanted was something that was antithetical to what the Federation is. And what is the Federation? Like what is this idea of humanity in the 24th century? And what it is, is people who no longer have wants or needs in the same way that we all have that are really, that are really and truly free to do what they want. It doesn't mean they're going to be good or doesn't mean they're going to be victorious at it. But like this things that keep people from that want to be a doctor uh, in the United States from being a doctor, the money to go to school, the you know education, the resources, all that kind of stuff. It's provided. There's essentially unlimited. Uh, there's no money. There's unlimited. It's a, it's, a, it's a, the earth. And most of the Federation is like this utopian society where you have everything you need and are able to kind of fulfill uh, or work towards whatever personal goals that you have. And so the the antithesis of that to the to the writers of Star Trek was a race that took that away from you. Uh, and it actually didn't really start with uh, – they kind of figured that out later because if you'll notice one of the big changes between Q-Who and um, – 
Best of Both Worlds, which continues, is that at first they are trying to kill people and take their technology. And then in between that, they do just mention that this has been a change in the Borg. But from then on out, the Borg are about uh, assimilation. Uh, we're going to take your biological distinction, your who, who, what makes you an individual, and we're gonna we're gonna recognize that uniqueness, but add it to our own, uh, so that the whole gets better, uh, without without regards for what you as a person care or or think. So, uh, and and ultimately that was scary for a lot of people, not just because they were well designed and their ships looked weird and uh, all that kind of stuff. It was. They, you know, if you want a primary antagonist and a true antagonist to be the opposite of your heroes, they finally kind of figured out what that was with the Borg, which is here's a if the Enterprise is all about uh, the indiv- you know the individuals working together by choice, but still with their own dreams and destinies and wants and desires and autonomy. What's the opposite of that? And the Borg. Uh, are against everything that the Federation stands for. So that's how they ended up with the Borg and how the Borg kind of ended up where it it was. Um, I, I, I'm now turning it over to you in the worst transition of all time about what did you think of all those things I just said, Peter? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Okay, so like I, I didn't see the sort of contrast between this sort of utopian society that has everything and wants for nothing versus the Borg where like you don't want anything because all you want is, is you know, forward progress for the Borg. I didn't quite see that contrast um, when I was watching the episode, but I guess... And I part can... of that is because they probably haven't made as clear to you. Like, there's so many Next Generation episodes where they talk about, we have no need for money. No one wants for anything. Like, but... I don't know if that's really come up on the episodes that you've seen. Yeah, yeah, that it has not. They've mostly been uh, to 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 my joy, mind you. They've mostly been uh, horror villains so far, um, and and so it, it's worked for me in this sense. Like it, it's it's been um, it's been kind of nice to have this new crazy threat. Their ships don't look anything like other ships. Uh, I have no idea how that cube flies. Makes it a little bit more cosmic horror-y. Um, sort of like the ship from Alien-Prometheus. You're like, how does that weird, you know, uh, half-ring thing even fly? Well, things uh, don't have to be aerodynamic in space, Peter. Yeah, well... Yes and no. Um, <laughs> but the, 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 the sort of... Um, the... the, the the sort of cre- uh, creepingness of the Borg where they're introduced is just like, oh, there's just a guy in the ship. He's just, what is he doing? He's just fucking with our computer. <laughs> and, yeah. just, and then they kill one and then another one zaps in. Like, a fantastic intro. Like, it doesn't have that sort of flattening effect where, like, if you spend too much time with something, it makes it not scary. Like, it stayed pretty creepy for the three the three episodes uh, that we watched for, for today. Um, yeah. And, and so I, I liked that I kind of didn't get more color because like, I mean. So to be clear, I'm not talking about more color in the Borg stuff. I'm saying the Federation, there's, a, there's not other episodes with the Borg where they talk about um, compared to the Borg, we have, we have replicators. Uh, I'm just saying there's a lot of Star Trek episodes where, Picard talks about like we don't have money. We've moved beyond money. Like oh 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 that 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 yeah yeah yeah, yeah like yeah. them as a people is antagonistic towards the Borg. 
Not that they're like, debate me! <laughs> so the, the Borg are not the uh, the, the alt-right of uh, space. No. They mostly just... Debate is irrelevant. Late. Yeah. Um, uh, I like debate is irrelevant. I like I, I like I like the Borg. I'm glad that we're doing this arc because this is kind of like a fun. I've been enjoying uh, I've been enjoying Next Generation as a, a brand new adventure, a brand new adventure for with a whole new set of cast. And I like the idea that as we get closer to um, sort of modern production values that we they can make an episode that actually kind of creeped me out a little bit. That's awesome to hear. Yeah, I'm excited to get into this in more. Uh, I don't think we need to do more intro than that because we're going to be talking about Borg all day, baby. So, Peter, let's get into it. Let's start talking about um, where uh, <laughs> where the Borg are introduced as a middle finger of a godlike creature because they didn't take him seriously enough. The episode, Q Who. Q Who. Q Who. Yeah, let's talk about it. Q what? Uh, Q who? Q who? Uh, yeah, so Peter, in between Encounter Farpoint and Q who, you missed a Q episode, which is fine. It's not that good of a Q episode. But they're uh, all called like Q. Q Question. So you made it's called Hide and Q. There you go. That's not <laughs> Which a doesn't doesn't work on any level besides just letting you know Q's in there. It's about ten. It's it's like the tenth or eleventh episode in the first season. So they're like, ooh, out of ideas. Maybe bring that Q guy back. And essentially, in that episode, you find out a little more explicitly that Q is part of a collective called. Wait for it. The Q Collective. And it's just a bunch of godlike beings, and they have different personalities and different – there's like a council and everything else. There's people in power, but um, a lot of them just like being like beings of light, and some of them interact with lesser life forms. And uh, Q comes back and offers Riker a chance to join them uh, to be the first first lower life form who gets a chance to have the powers of the Q – and he essentially makes a wager with Picard that Riker will not choose um, to join the queue. And Riker is kind of like into it a little bit. He likes the power. It's very early Riker where he and he, him and Picard don't have the strongest relationship. Picard is more banking on him, his him being a Starfleet officer. <laughs> um, and uh, – and Q basically says, if I lose, I'll never come on your ship again. Uh, and that's what happens. He loses. Uh, he, Q is not happy about uh, losing. And then we find out in, in between that and Q who that he is kicked out of the collective. So he can't go to the dimension where they live, which will actually we won't see. But it comes up on a Star Trek Voyager episode. Uh, and he is without a home. Uh, after losing that, which is why he also does not show back up on the Enterprise, but takes Picard at the beginning of Q Who off the Enterprise. Uh, and 
until Picard basically agrees to let him back on the Enterprise. Uh, so the first part of the episode is basically that is them uh, saying, where the fuck's Picard? Picard refusing to talk to Q, which is kind of funny. While Q's like, I got all the time in the world, bouncing a ball. Um, and then eventually Picard relents and's like, take me back to my ship. And Q makes the offer to join the crew that he's been kicked out. He kind of likes messing with them. He has a, he's all powerful. He has a lot to offer. And that basically you you guys, you you humans have been stuck in a very small part in the galaxy. You have no fucking idea what's out there. Like you oh, the Klingons, the Romulans. Boo-hoo. Like there's some there's some Boo-hoo says Q. Yeah. Boo-hoo says the Q. Um and Picard is like uh, uh, uh is like no that's okay also picard knows or uh, q knows guinan which is very uh funny and continues for a couple more yeah episodes. i dig that um they do not like each other <laughs> um but uh yeah so q's like oh yeah okay i don't get joined the cr- crew you don't believe me you think <laughs> q you- wants to join the crew <laughs> yeah why isn't it called q crew picard says boohoo <laughs> Let's write all this as a New York Post yeah. highlight. <laughs> Is Q wearing J. Crew? <laughs> Who knew? Who knew? <laughs> no Q. No crew. No J. Q. Crew for you. No crew for They're for in Q. bankrupt sue. <laughs> Q do. Q do. The creditors may sue. All right, this is going to turn to gobbledygook. Really, really gobbledygook. That doesn't rhyme. Uh, anyway. Did not say gook? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, to prove his point, he knocks them 7,000 light years across the galaxy. Um, where they run into the Borg, which is like nothing. It's like nothing you've ever encountered. Um and basically describes it. They're a they're a collective as well. They um they're cybernet they're they're uh different species and cybernetics, but they have a hive mind and they they're not interested to reason. They just are out there uh destroying destroying civilizations and taking their technology. And so they first meet them by uh just they meet them. They're not interested in opening communications, they beam over. A Borg who, like, is checking on what the technology is like, if they're at any risk of getting destroyed by this, if they pose any tactical risk, if there's anything worth stealing. Um, and ultimately, uh, what's really scary is they they keep trying to insist there's got to be a way to talk to them, got to be a way to reason with them. But as the first uh, Borg dies, another one just shows up and kind of completes the task that the other one was doing, gets what they need, leaves, and decides that um, – they're going to destroy them. Uh, and they do. They take a. They also take a part of the, the ship out, like cut it out with a drilling tool to analyze it, killing like 18 people. Um, and as they try to escape, finally Picard admits to Q in a really great scene that like, you want to tell us we're scared? We're scared. Like, get us out of here. Um, so Q does save them. And also confirms that, yeah, no, those people are really dead. That all really happened. Like, maybe if you, if you can't uh, – if you're if you're afraid of a little bloody nose, you probably shouldn't be out exploring the galaxy. And also mentions, hey, just to let you know, they now know about you, so they'll probably be coming. Q uh, knows about you. Yeah. They'll be co- <laughs> Sorry. Oh, Q knew about you. Who? Q who? Knew about you. Um, they like the rhyming thing too. There's an episode called uh, Deja Q, 
I guess that's not rhyming. That's a pun. Uh, and then true. That's rhyming. Q and vu. No, but that's because they've replaced it. It's not deja vu Q. It's deja Q. Yeah, but vu, Q rhymes with vu. Yeah, I, I know, but it's not rhyming. It's a pun. Yeah, that's what I said. Um, and, but there's one called true, true Q, which is a rhyme. Sort true. Of. True Q. What's, what's the What's the pun? True blue. So it's not a pun. That's just a rhyme. Well, that would also be a pun if it's like a pun on true blue. Yeah. Like your true, true blue friend. But it's true Q. Anyways, uh, yeah, so uh, this episode's a little disjointed. It's It doesn't really get to when Q becomes really, really good, uh, which is actually his next appearance in the third season is when I think Q, uh, John Delancey really nails the character um, and then continually stays like a little less evil, a little bit less theatrical, but he's definitely getting better. Hide and Q is also not all that good. Uh, and then they really do – I mean, the Borg are in this thing for 20 minutes. They introduce them as um, something scary. They, they they really – they can't get out of their encounter. Q saves them and then – and then um, – and then warns them. One thing I really like about it, which we've already kind of mentioned, was was part of the intent is that we just don't like in in Star Trek. Space is something magical to be explored, and sure, there's some assholes they meet out there, but it's always this sense of like wonder or thing to be discovered, or even if something's dangerous, it's usually something that's dangerous because they're not communicating. And there is, you know. Q really leans into this idea that, like, yeah, space has, like, riches and amazing things beyond your wildest dreams, but, you know, there's terrors out there that would frighten anyone, and you are really not prepared for the vastness and the unknownness of what lies out in the darkness of space. Star Trek rarely gets into that stuff because it's antithetical to what Starfleet is, what the Federation is. Uh, so I really like that aspect of it. It is more, it is more, you, you said Lovecraft earlier, and I know that's not specific, you weren't specifically referring to I said it right before, now, too. Yeah, like that's, that sort of cosmic terror is, uh, very much gets into my blood, uh, when, when someone, uh, calls upon, like it's, it's blood in the water for me, I should say. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that's where the blood goes. Yeah. Blood in the water. And I'm a shark. <laughs> or. Or a Borg. A, pr- a piranha. I mean, it's a whole different show. You know what? We don't know. It's a mystery that has yet to be solved as far as I know. I haven't seen most of the Voyager episodes where they show up. So what did you think of Q this time around? Uh, I think Q's a little annoying, but like he's supposed to be a a bit of like a Loki-like trolley scamp. Um, I don't know if I needed him to be the sort of, uh, entrance to a threat that's far more interesting than him. Um, like, I think in his introductory episode, um, the threats that he was introducing were so petty and and small and they were of the past that, like, uh, I, I, I enjoyed actually Q popping back up as this sort of like mischievous god but in this him sort of like coming on and being like I really want to join your Q crew I really want to join your crew I'm Q um I I didn't 
I didn't buy him at any point at wanting to do that. No one in the crew buys him wanting to do that. And he's like, fine, if you won't do that, then I'm just going to give you a better episode than what you were going to get. It's, oh, does it make you happy? You're going to get a much better episode without me. Thanks. And then he gives you a better episode. And I'm like, wait, why did we need this 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 frame of Q? Yeah, Spend less I Q agree. Money it's... And more money on Borg money. I want more. I want more ports. I want more plugs. Yeah, I agree. This um, again, I think it's the next Q appearance where they both it, a lot of things come together. They figure out how to use Q in a way that's interesting, um, th- without it being like as we talked about with Encounter at Farpoint, right? Like Encounter at Farpoint is that they wrote this mystery on the Far- Farpoint station, and then they're like, make it a movie, and they add Q into it. And this one feels like. Okay, we're finally going to introduce this villain that's been been tossed around the writer's room since before the series started. How do we get there? Because we don't want him just hanging out in the Alpha Quadrant ready to attack the Federation next week. Oh, we'll we'll have him flung across the galaxy. Well, I mean, a lot of ways you could do that. Wormhole, you know, whatever. There's tons of space stuff. They use Q to do it as kind of a vehicle to it. Um and I don't think it's till the next appearance that it's finally like, oh, what if we just have an episode about Q and like how he interacts with the with the with the with the Q crew and uh, and they kind of figure it out. And also the writing's so much better in, in season three in general. Uh, the costumes are better. Like everything fits finally. So I'll be interested when we do see that episode. Is that if a you agree or if you're still like. Uh, sure. Why not? It's, it's also a rhyme fit. if you want it to be. Yeah, sorry, go yeah, on. Fits. Uh, so yeah, Q is definitely feels a little perfunctory in this. Uh, although him getting kicked out of the continuum does matter later on. Uh, but more importantly, yeah, this really, uh, this really is some creepy shit. And also, they they do away with maybe the creepiest thing, which is the born babies in drawers. Holy shit! Yeah, that was that was what also creeped me out. Is they basically were like, I, I I love when he's basically like, yeah, they're born, and then as soon as they can take the implants, they get the implants. Like, yeah, obviously, like they're not going to be like. <laughs> not, yeah, it's not like everything. at age five. Also, they're like, it's a baby, dude. <laughs> oh, who's a little collective? Part part of the collective. <laughs> as soon as you form a personality, we're gonna assimilate you. Like no, <laughs> they're like we're they're taking like, I- yet. <laughs> yeah, that's the, like. Do they let them have a cool childhood? Then take them. They're like no. Well, we 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 also do just need foot soldiers, you know. Um, so I, I like that yeah. idea quite a bit. Um, and I in the creepiness that this is a this is not they're not viewing this as um. They're not viewing this as like, you know, a quick uh, spreading plague across the galaxy. Like this is a generational terror that stole Guinan's uh, species from her. And like, uh, I, I, I don't t- can we actually can we take a side before we, we, we Borg out real hard with best of both worlds? Um, yeah. Best of Borg worlds. Um, Guinan is basically just like a he's weird all, she's shit all over detector. all four of these episodes. Yeah. She's what? just like a weird shit detector. Like she's just like. Something's weird here. I don't like it. Do you think that Guinan plays into or subverts the magical black people trope? Yeah, I, you know, I really, I really got Which way that. Do you go? So here's the thing. I actually think it's that's easy to read into this. 
Um, and I'm not saying that it doesn't have some of that, except like just just on its face. Like I don't know how I can say it doesn't follow or doesn't somewhat have some uh uh it's not somewhat analogous to a trope that it does follow right here's a here's a black person who solves some problems a lot and of she times she just gets weird vi- weird spiritual vibes right like at least from the episodes i've seen yeah I but it's completely it, wrong well the so episode yeah. i'm seeing it's, it's she's so, just like i've got a goofy vibe and and then um picard's like can you please elaborate and she's like no just just spiritually doesn't feel right and i'm like well how is he supposed i mean is this this the show came after ghost right so this is no no slightly before for that slightly reason. before no so ghost was 87 so she, on- she shows up on 88 so and i think ghost was 90 so i think she wins the academy so award was guinan in season one was guinan in season one no but no season two but season two starts in 88 um let's see and ghost is 90 ghost come out ghost is you're right 1990 okay so ghost is actually in in a ghost ghost is maybe picking ghost is maybe picking up on what star trek was laying down i don't so having seen more episodes i'm not again i'm not trying to well actually just here's my sense uh my modern sense to having seen so many stuff so whoopi goldberg already a big deal yeah, Whoopi Goldberg, already a big deal, wants to be on the show, obviously is a movie star, uh, cannot just be on the show, so what's a role that they can bring her in when they need to? Well, she runs 10 Forward, the bar mess area, because you don't need to go to the restaurant on the ship every single episode, as opposed to if she was like the chief engineer. Or something. The other thing is that in gen- th- this is not the only Star Trek. This, if she was the only, if she was like the Uhura, which is like she's the only person of color in the cast, feels a little worse. But she's not. Uh, Jordy and Worf are both portrayed by people of color. Now, one is obviously a Klingon, but uh not not that not a to- not a token character she was also cast or she was on the show at her own request she really really wanted to be on star trek it's not like a role it was a role written with all those things in mind now that doesn't mean it can't like oh we wrote this role with the magical negro uh trope uh but what it i think the way it works is that she i mean she's not she doesn't have ill-defined magical qualities as you get into the show. Her her race, the Elorians, have been around. They live for, for hundreds upon hundreds, if not thousands of years. Uh, we do meet another one uh, in, a, in something we're going to watch relatively soon. Um, and it's not that she has magical feelings. It's that because she's so old, she does have some element of wisdom. And also her species perceives uh, time and other dimensions differently. So they, they sort of have a some, somewhat of a sense into the quantum realm. Now, again, that's a scientific name for magic. I get it. But I th- actually think in most of these episodes, she's in, – in yesterday's Enterprise, she's specifically doing something shifted in the timeline. And you kind of need that so that decisions can be made that unshift the timeline. Uh, but in these, I feel like in, – in, in she's just providing wisdom on a species that she's 
met before. And in Best of Both Worlds, she's referencing her relationship with Picard as both being the the person to, that Picard talks to before the mission, which makes sense because it's the only person on the crew that he ever opens up with personally because it's the only one that he's not their boss and has a personal relationship with. So that's important for Picard to have. Um, and, and he trusts her intuition, c- like even when she can't prove yeah. it. Like the episode we watched, um, what's the one? Yesterday's the, Enterprise. The, uh, yesterday's Enterprise. The one where, like, at the end yeah. of the episode, she's kind of just like, "Hey, I, I still have a funny feeling, but I think everything is back where it's supposed to be." He's like, I, "I don't, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about, but I, I just have to trust you and not lock you up in the brig for being insane." <laughs> yeah, but that's like the the only episode that we've watched that like that comes up, which makes sense, right? Like. She doesn't know so how I'm to getting. You're saying board. I'm getting she an just, unfair impression of 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 uh, Guinan. I I'm saying that that she usually is wise, and people go to her for advice as they would a bartender. Which is and fine. her speech. It's not her. Yeah, and it's not her specifically. I think. I think it generally works because I think she's somewhat well defined. She wanted to be on the. You know, she's she's like, please put me on the show in a way that I don't have to make regular appearances. Um, and she's generally, I don't know, like, I, I get what you're saying in the sense that, like, just, like, they've given it some sci-fi trappings to the magical part of that trope, uh, but she still, she still has that. I actually think the part where her being on the show actually really subtracted from is in Counselor Troy's character because <laughs> she ends up being the person that everyone goes to for the best and most insightful advice throughout the series. Like, she's the one that knows her shit and has a way of not telling people what they need to know, but having them kind of get there on their own like a good therapist it's, or counselor would. It's and like so you read my because, notes, man. I, I, yeah. put this, I put that in my notes. I was like, wait, we haven't watched any Troy heavy episodes. All I know is that her and uh, her, uh, 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 her and um, uh, Jonathan Frakes, uh, what's his character's name? Riker. All I know Riker. is that her and Riker have boinked, space boinked. Um, and I don't know anything about that relationship. I don't know how a Betazoid is different than a Guinanazoid. Um so a ba- full betazoid. So her mom shows <laughs> up a lot a, of times. Very so. funny combination of syllables. It's just yeah. it's just funny. So full betazoids are telepathic. They communicate only through mind reading and can read Joe's thoughts. Since she's half betazoid, she can only sense people's like feelings. But there's great supercuts of like someone obviously being li- lying, and then her being like, you know. I think I think he's hiding something after <laughs> like like she ends up like I'm not I'm not so she's so she's the the series is Lion Cat from so- the Saga comics. Have you ever read the Saga comics? No. There's a character that's no. just uh, that's just a cat that just says lying whenever a character is lying and he like serves a purpose for a character. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and there's like a lot of Troy episodes that have to deal with her like empath or tell so like she gets mind raped more than you'd like to see on a television mm, show which normally is like zero that's a, um, the, the, the amount of times i want to hear the phrase mind raped in a day is <laughs> somehow less than zero yeah that that happens on a lot of troy episodes like i like in general troy as a character the problem is is that the show doesn't give her much to do 
And most of her, like, Troy-centric episodes are, like, offensive or shitty. And then on top of that, all of the good advice that, like, they show people give is usually Guinan. So, because, uh, you know, Whoopi Goldberg's a better actress than Marina Citrus. So, uh, and she, anytime they, like, were like, oh, this is perfect. Like, she's a bartender. She's giving advice. She's the only one the captain talks to. So, Look, at, at the end of the day, I can't say that um, Whoopi Goldberg's characters doesn't ascribe to some of the tropes of that, right? Like, I, I'd be lying if I said that, like, on paper, it definitely matches. I don't know if I'm speaking because I grew up with it. And so I just say, like, well, for this, it's different. And if someone could easily say to me, that's bullshit, and I would be wrong. For me, it doesn't feel like I'm not watching The Legend of Bagger Vance. <laughs> like, right? <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, no. I'm not. I'm not saying it's like full on the most offensive shit ever. And also, Whoopi Goldberg is a very thoughtful, a thoughtful person who like great and about- great actress. I don't think she gets enough credit for. She's like, yeah. I know she yeah. won the Academy Award for Ghost, a movie I have not seen, but she's so good at guy. And as I've been rewatching these episodes, I really appreciate it in a way I didn't when I'm like, when are they gonna fire that phaser again? <laughs> Ghost is probably the hokiest movie that can make me cry. I think. It's, I need to it's see it. It's on, as fuck. I do want to see it. I made a list of um, – I went through like all of Box Office Mojo and put every movie that was on the top 25 box office of each year that I've never seen. And I made a letterbox list called uh, All the Movies Everyone's Seen But Me. <laughs> Uh, and uh yeah it's a good Ghost it's a good there. it's a good moment to, to have because if people are still talking about it uh third you know 10 15 20 years later 30 years later in ghost case uh it, it you know it's it's lived long enough it's worth seeing like even if top gun is not a great movie it's it's kind of worth seeing for the cultural impact. another one i've never seen yeah i mean there's I, I knew kind of I, I named that for for that specific yeah. reason you um you and i can go see the new top gun movie in theaters and both Enjoy the rippling muscles. We got the need for feed. All right, so I don't really have anything else. We have so yeah, much yeah, else yeah. to talk about. I don't have an I... opinion on Guinan. I'm yeah. glad we parked there because Guinan is, has been a confusing figure for me. I should have I should have marked it off last episode. I don't know if we'll get a chance in future episodes to mark off for, for her. Uh, she'll be in Generations, so we'll have some more time. She plays a pretty big role in Generations. Cool. Uh, yeah. Um, so so let's, talk about, let's talk about Best of uh, Both Worlds Part 1 and 2 together. Uh, so I do I actually think we need to talk about, about them a little separately. So, uh, okay. Well, I'm going to do a little bit of my classic uh, Trexplaining. Um, so here's – Best of Both Worlds is interesting. Uh, I was uh, reading some stuff um, about uh, the writers of the show at the time. So third, So we talked about this a little earlier that – Star Trek, even its third season, third season when people go, they start producing classic after classic, gets really good. The writers at the time said that was in retrospect that people went, oh, third season when it got good. No one thought we were good in in the third season as it was airing. Budgets were getting threatened to get cut. All the reviews were still like, we don't like Picard. He's not like Kirk. Like, no one thought we were good. We turned over writing staff three times in three years. You know, we were getting a lot of pressure from Roddenberry and, and Berman to make the show more action-focused or, like, give people a better dynamic. And, like, yeah, they're like, in retrospect, 
people went back and said, oh, my God, there's so many good episodes. This one, you guys were producing classic after classic. And they're like, great. But we were not feeling any of that at the time. Instead, we were feeling like we could get shut down any day or all get fired. And why that's so interesting is that it, it is the best of both worlds that turned uh, Star Trek The Next Generation into the uh, secondary track to becoming a kind of syndicated phenomenon. Uh, Trek's audience did start growing a little more. There did start to be those reviews that would poke out like, hey, have you, has anyone watched Star Trek lately? It's gotten kind of okay. It was still slow to find an audience, but it was at a time when like, you know, uh, a, a good cliffhanger could could propel a show into the stratosphere and best of both worlds part one you do we, that you what fit when you, you were talking about costumes earlier and you said it fits and then you said into the stratosphere it's a space show sorry just i, I love it keep going okay perfect <laughs> i'll keep i'll keep saying space shit if that helps um yeah. but um Stellar uh, cast. Well, for Star, to be clear, for Star Trek, if they go to the stratosphere, it's an unsuccessful flight because they want to go <laughs> much further. Um, yeah, like that's, a, space. that's a failure of a ship, I would say. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this this thing can't even get to warp. Uh, yeah, so. <laughs> it can get to warp, uh, though. Oh, <laughs> it can get to warp. Um, so, yeah, it. Uh, it, it wasn't until this cliffhanger that people really flocked to it. And then for the fourth season premiere, the Best of Both Worlds Part 1, uh, it all of a sudden has a huge audience. It had been on you know TV Guide covers in the summer in between. What's going to happen? And it really was then by the time the fourth season is, everyone kind of has secure jobs. They have a relatively consistent writing staff. They're allowed to do more things. And the show kind of stays pretty good throughout its run, but especially like seasons four through six are just incredibly impressive, have so many episodes I'm excited to show you at some point. Um, But it really was the cliffhanger that did it. And also, a lot of people at the time, uh, this is actually from books that I read that were somewhat contemporaneous, even though everyone liked Patrick Stewart's performance, everyone hated kind of Picard. And I'm saying everyone in hyperbole, don't show me some review that said Patrick Stewart's the only good thing. But in general, the consensus was, is we want Kirk. And who is the Kirk analog on the show? Jonathan Frakes. And it's a show that already killed oh, off one of the Kirks. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's already a show that has killed off one of their cast members. So there was actually – it was more than just a how are they going to get Picard out of this situation. There was a real sense uh, from reading some stuff at the time and going back to some some people writing about what it was like to be a Star Trek fan there, including stuff – books that I've had for like 25 years. Uh, went back and found some of them. There was really a are they going to kill off Picard? Make – Riker the captain and have Shelby as the second command like that felt like a real possibility and that's so hard to have it's not only hard to have I think that exciting of a cliffhanger but it's also really hard to have that sense of are we about to witness uh, a true change in in this show that was, you know, rarely happened. It's why we still talk about, we don't, well, we'll still talk about as a reference, as a culture, like who shot JR? Because here's this popular character that they kill off for a year. And that was insane. The idea that you take this popular character and then they would be off the show. 
Like, we're so used to now shows, like, rewriting their mythos or taking different arcs or having characters leave all the time. And and here, this idea that, like, oh, Riker might be the new captain really lend that sense to what a cliffhanger is supposed to do. It's supposed to be like, you got to be fucking kidding. I have to wait until mid-September till I find out how this ends. Um but that was what the show needed. That, like, three and a half months of people like, oh, my God, I cannot wait to find out what happens, was what the show needed to basically sign the rest of its uh, – to pay off the rest of its lease, for lack of a better term. Like, it was like, you're good. You you can make shows as long as you want. And, you know, that led to Deep Space Nine and the movies and other shows and everything else. But uh, not only not only being such an important episode of television uh, – for the sense that, like, it was uh, an example of how to do cliffhangers and a lot of other things. It really is responsible for for creating Trek as we know it to this day. This is obviously a show where um, I can only speak about what's in front of my face. Uh, yeah, that's what I'm here for, to, to tell you what's, uh, what's yeah. hiding in the shadows. In I the can nebula. see all, all that being true, though, you know, what I've, uh, from what I could see, I, I guessed from the last episode that Troy was a more uh, satisfied character than uh, it seems like uh, from, from your telling of it. Um, but I just, I, I, I love these two episodes together um as a sort of uh similar to the intro to the series like sort of a combined movie uh the cliffhanger the cliffhanger in the middle is kind of i mean (laughs) it would have been crazy if i were watching the show live back in the day but like it is kind of nice that like three seconds into the credits amazon prime is like oh you're gonna watch the second part right obviously you're gonna watch the second part you're never gonna leave your couch obviously it's like yeah 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 i'm gonna watch the 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 next episode the (laughs) best what am i gonna do see the best of one world um (laughs) Uh, do you know about bosh (laughs) once you're done with this we got some bosh that would be amazing you ready to get boshed (laughs) if they after the cliffhanger they just played the pilot of bosh be weird if it's like season two episode eight yeah i've never watched a bosh in my life (laughs) i don't know where the drugs are amazon is recommending starting bosh i don't know where the drugs are he's like you know how i know i'm gonna get the get the information on the drugs out of you he's like how man i don't know where the drugs are i can't tell you what i don't know he goes because i'm bosh and then they play the bosh title theme that everyone knows and then Bosch gets the information out of that. Do you even know dealer. if he does anything with drugs? I I, I, just I, a, I, I know nothing about Bosch except for uh, it, it includes a guy from Deadwood. Titus Welliver is Bosch. Titus Welliver seems like a fake name he made up just to be on Deadwood. Uh, he has a. It, most people have a cooler name on the show they're on. <laughs> His name is Titus <laughs> Welliver, and they're like, okay, well, for this. One word title, you ready? It's like, oh, tough to type. Top Titus. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. It's I- Bosch. <laughs> you know, it sounds like fucking rotted porridge. It's like only made in some weird town in like the bayou of Louisiana. You're going to have Bosch. Like, can we call it Titus, uh, please? Oh, uh, yeah, That's yeah. Bosch. You, you. Yeah, you you don't wanna you don't wanna be drinking uh, the stuff that uh, come down that line, my friend. You don't wanna be drinking that stuff. Uh, uh, you uh, 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 what what is it, sir? Uh, we call that <laughs> stuff uh, bash. It's uh, it's like uh, 
<laughs> it's a pork it's mash. Feed. <laughs> it's what they feed to people in Siberian prisons. <laughs> I can't have another well. day of Bosch. Are you kidding? <laughs> Looks like um, the, uh, the the ship manifest say go to Vladimir Putin. Someplace oh, called Siberia. Ever heard of that place? Uh, you're in trouble. I just thought Dink. it would be worth mentioning for the purposes of this joke. I am a white man with a Cajun <laughs> accent. You're kind of doing a wild and crazy guy. <laughs> we are two wild and crazy guys. Let's go you have some bosh. You should see me during carnival. I'm a wild and crazy guy. <laughs> I feel like bosh, even as they were explaining to Titus Welliver, was like, okay. You seen the movie The Producers? <laughs> this this is that like we need a tax write-off <laughs> five seasons <laughs> he just goes he just goes you think Bosch is gonna settle for five seasons oh he's already in character <laughs> never let him go oh, no. he just said I'm Bosch he gets it he gets I- what we're going for here you know he's been in character for that long because he wouldn't. How would you the know de- the difference? The Deadwood reunion movie. How would you know the difference if he was being Titus or Bosch? <laughs> what defines Bosch? Anyways, uh, you know how. As someone who's never seen a minute of the television program, the Am- Amazon Prime program of Bosch, uh, I can't say, frankly. Let's do a whole new series called Bosch Mosh. <laughs> <laughs> Where we uh, listen to corn over episodes of Bosch. <laughs> Uh, that sounds great. I, this is where, if I had a lot of knowledge on corn or Bosch, I would, I would, you know, really riff on the two together. Yeah, then you'd, you'd really Bosch it up. up. Bosch, Bosch, yeah. Bosch it up. Like, I was going to say um, hot dog flavored water, but that's a Limp Biscuit thing. I think they have an album called Follow the Leader, and there's like a kid about to skip off a cliff. Oh, I bet yeah, Bosch would stop that kid trouble. from going off the. Cl- I, I bet Bosch would stop that kid. I bet. You ever hear the show called Bosch? <laughs> now I'm a Kentucky. I think you're doing. The, I think what you're doing is the Exticles. Just to let you know. <laughs> I think it seeped into your mind. Our frisky dingo, <laughs> other sidecast, and now you're just doing the Exticles. Uh, oh you, no! You gotta. You gotta go. You gotta watch the show, Bosch, man. Again, for the purposes of this joke, I am a white man with a Cajun <laughs> accent. <laughs> uh, yeah, so enough about Titus Wellinger. <laughs> Obviously, this is that's a lot about the history of this episode. It's uh, And you're right. I can see why the cliffhanger doesn't mean as much to you, right? Because that, that fire – and this is actually an episode I watched um, either – I don't think I watched it when it aired. But I did have to wait – like a week to see what happened because I was watching it on reruns while the show was still airing. And I remember watching with my dad who had seen it when it first aired and still being like, Oh my God, what's going to happen? And I knew Picard was fine because I had watched later episodes, but it just felt so impossible, right? He's going to fire. Like what's going to happen? He's going to fire it. And everything's going to go away. So it's, you know, like a lot of cliffhangers, this does suffer. And I'm curious what it was, what that experience was like watching it back to back for you for the first time. Like, 
it does cite like cliffhangers, especially on television, their climax is actually in the middle, right? It's that cliffhanger part. And usually they don't have it all worked out. Uh, mm-hmm. And they talk about that on the, the extras for the season four Blu-ray set. They're like, yeah, it was a great ending. We had we got back in the writer's room, you know, after the summer break or whatever. And we're like, we have no idea how we're going to wrap this up. <laughs> uh, and that's, you know, that's the story of a lot of cliffhangers at the time. And that's why sometimes uh, they don't really live up to the the, the cliffhang in that um, – you are like the part that really gets you going is the holy shit what's going to happen next you have months to think about all the different ways it can resolve and the way it resolves is especially in uh, television of its day is try to get back to the status quo uh yeah and and for me like i i don't think i appreciated how much of a you know sort of uh, a, a fight it was to actually have even three episodes string together um, oh yeah we'll talk about family and the fight to make that next but. yeah because but like the the fight for it instilled its legacy right like yeah, yeah. uh just because an ep- even if an episode kind of gets dropped from syndication or whatever because people think it will think it's too confusing um which i don't know if that was true of family but you know what i mean um the, the actual cost of making it and, and making it a uh the actual cost of making it and making it such a profoundly like small and intimate episode uh, really paid off because like I, I was just so much more attached to the characters by the time we get to family. But in order to get there, we have to go through the hell yeah, we'll, of, we'll uh, of the of the of the Borg War. Borg War. Um, Borg War. Borg War. So they introduce a character named Shelby who is a little annoying because she's. Uh, it's kind oh. of one of those things where, like, you know, they're not actually they're investing time and in making you like this sort of roguish character. And they're like making her a reflection of like Riker. But like, she's not going to stick around on the show. So you're just like, OK, so this character's going to be a little bit annoying and then I'm going to be endeared with her, to her by the end and then she's going to be gone. <laughs> I think it's a little bit too like, OK, like this is the ambitious woman a, a bit a, ambitious, career-minded woman through the prism of uh, some nerdy white dudes, which is not great sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like, I, I do like later when Riker's like, oh, yeah, you're just like I was. Well, no one fucking was like, oh, Riker's so annoying. It's like, yeah, here's a here's a guy ready to get things done. Uh, and yeah, where yeah. Sh- Shelby's ambitious is all like uh, – I mean, mean, it's the way she's written. Like, she undercuts Riker and she does all these things that, like, probably if she was doing all the time wouldn't actually get her to where she is today. But that's the way they get under Riker. Yeah, so it's... She's a little duplicitous, though, in a way that I don't recognize in Riker. Like, she'll just... She'll she'll just kind of, like, lie about what her intentions are in a way that I, I think... Riker would go do the crazy thing, and then he'd be like, "This is what I had to go do that." So, like the well, that, well that's what I mean is that like up. like the 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 woman version of this is like duplicitous and a liar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't exactly. It doesn't. It, it, it doesn't quite line up because Riker is a man of his convictions, the way uh, um, Kirk is, where it's like he'll go do the crazy thing, but afterwards he'll be like, "Yeah, I did it. Here's why I did it." Whereas she, yeah. she'll be like. 
oh, you caught me. <laughs> like, it's not, it makes her a less likable character because also you're, you're, you're also wondering the whole time if you should be suspicious of her, that, that she's serving some sort of darker purpose for this yeah. old, this, uh, uh, this guy who's basically like trying to get Riker to get onto, um, commander tr- or captain track. Um, and, and yeah, I want to talk about that really quickly. Which uh, has been happening. So there's an episode. I, I texted you about this. Yeah. There's an episode of the second season called The Icarus Factor where his dad comes on the ship, Riker's dad. And he's been offered either his first, I think his second command. And he is like, I just, I feel like I just got here. Like, I want to stay on the Enterprise. And him, his dad is like, you suck. Go be a captain. And, he, and he's like, that's what you've been working so hard for. So this actually and, st- and him being a Kirk par- parallel really quickly him being a Kirk parallel you're like well yeah Riker probably should have his own ship yeah uh, <laughs> do I'm they glad- need a Kirk and a Picard <laughs> yeah exactly uh, and uh, what's funny is is that so they sort of like go off that after this episode which is probably good because they almost went to that well way too early for a show that ended up lasting seven seasons the idea that like here's someone who's like keeps getting offered his own ship just stays the first officer for the next 10 or 12 years seems a little unrealistic except like keeping a cast together uh but they do kind of drop it after this um and and frakes so what is the meta text here because like it's hard for me to know who on the cast was getting famous outside of it like was this was this sort of a commentary on either frakes leaving the show or other actors leaving the show like obviously um denise crosby left the show really quickly and then tried to come back like what do you know if this was intended as a sort of like as a sort of like uh everyone has to go forge their own path like once you once you get big enough you need to you know get off on your onto your own show and start your own sort of no show. so very specifically no one on this cast was getting big and the show wasn't all that no it was just a plot that was introduced about Riker's character that you know he he was this ambitious young dude who rose up in the ranks and they introduced it as a drama moment between him and his father in the second season episode Got which it. isn't very good and then they they kind of repurpose it here because they're going to give him the captain seat, right? Like, and that's going to be, oh, he finally got it, and they took away, he got, in theory, he got everything he wants. And then because it serves no more useful dramatic purpose, it goes away after this. Okay, yeah, that's kind of where I was, that's kind of where I was at, um, because I was, uh, Frakes, I know, was able to jump off and do a sort of, like, Unsolved Mysteries show. Uh, and that I wasn't until know- after Star Trek. I only know about that because of the memes, oh, and yeah, the, memes the memes are, are very so entertaining. Wondering if after we finish TNG, we should uh, do a side episode just about that. About uh, I think it's called Beyond Belief. He also used to narrate and, like, be host of these, like, old, like late 90s like ufos are they real shows and stuff like that he went the acroid route well no he just hosted them i don't know what his personal beliefs are he so he also directed first contact and um oh and insurrection and directed a bunch of these episodes and kind of became a tv director he also directed famously two huge bombs clock stoppers and thunderbirds and then kind of went back to to TV in the the mid two thousands, we but, talked about Clockstoppers uh, a little bit on We Love to Watch. Um, I've <laughs> yeah. brought it up quite a few times. <laughs> Did you know that Jonathan Frakes directed it? I had no idea. I didn't know he was a he was a you know a daddy clockstopper. Yeah, he was the he was the daddy clockstopper. Uh, 
Yeah, so but Frank says it is still kind of a good director. Everything like the warmth that you get from Riker later on, especially, um, seems genuinely how Jonathan Franks is. Like he just seems like if you've ever seen his Twitter persona, like he really seems like a big old teddy bear of a man uh, who is like just a generally wonderful, charming, fun person. So he didn't really go the Ackroyd route in that like he became like, you got to hear about the UFOs. He's like, sure, I'll host this. Why not? It's fun. And he shared so many of those supercuts of the it's fake. We made it up. It's not real. Like he he seems to have a great sense of humor about it. Um, He also this is a weird fact. Are you aware of like the TV show Gargoyles at all? I am. I loved the Goyles as a as a child. So Frakes played the main villain, and Michael Dorn played I th- I think maybe Goliath, and Marina Goliath. Citrus played the main um, uh, gargoyle girl, I believe. Uh, that would be a show similar to Batman the Animated Series, where like if I had kids of a certain age, I'd be like, "Oh yeah, we're watching Gargoyles." Oh, I I, I got it queued up in a couple years. Uh, yeah, no, but like uh, th- three of them were regular cast members. Uh, I didn't know that at all. I mean, at the time, they were it was just a cool show about gargoyles, and they always say they always say like, "Uh, we're flying over the Hudson." That's that's, that's what I imagine the show. They're always like, "Oh, we're flying over the Hudson." Uh, no, so I guess, York, I guess Michael the Dorn big was... Apple. Yeah, so I guess, a big apple for people who love apples. It's a big apple for gargoyles as well, just so people know. Uh, <laughs> that's true. So I guess only Marina Citrus and Jonathan Frakes had uh, regular roles. I guess uh, Keith David's Goliath, not Michael Dorn. And then recurring roles were Michael Dorn, Kate Mulgrew, Nichelle Nichols, and Brett Spiner. Um... Is and the, then in guest stars, it was Avery Brooks, Cole Meany, who plays uh, Chief O'Brien, yep. and LeVar Burton. That is the other thing I wanted to talk about. Uh, yeah. Was uh, Cole Meany uh, yeah. is in uh, these episodes. Uh, yeah, he's in a lot of episodes. He, he, you know, I think because of his Irish background, he hangs out a lot at 10 forward, um, if you know what I mean. Um, I do. And... <laughs> Uh, and Cole Meany, I think, maybe washed out of the em- Enterprise from his 10 forward habit uh, and then ended up at Deep Space Nine. <laughs> he uh, did, yeah. Think? Uh, yeah, he, uh, he definitely likes to drink sometimes. Um, <laughs> he eventually gets married and has a oh, kid, Oh, Brian, though. what is that? Is that is that Dutch or something? Oh, uh, Brian? So one of the best parts about Deep Space Nine is his friendship with the doctor there, uh, a guy named Dr. Bashir. Um, and uh, it is like – it's Deep Space Nine is such a good show, but Chief O'Brien is so good on that on that show as well. It's like the grumpy drunk who also is just like a, a like one, one high five away from giving you a big hug. <laughs> yeah he uh i like the character i don't i i'm i'm, I'm excited when you give me a, a homework the packet of uh deep space nine episodes to watch someday there's um, a really good there's a really good chief o'brien episode so he eventually marries a botanist on the enterprise uh, named keiko um and they have a kid together um and there so and she's actually so she because he's on it through five and a half seasons so he actually becomes more regular there's like chief o'brien and keiko episodes on next generation there's a really good one called data's day which is an entire day from the perspective of data 
that also revolves around him, I think, performing the ceremony of Chief O'Brien and Keiko's wedding. And it, it, and it happens in 10 forward, I believe. I was looking up 10 forward because it's a space bar and I love space bars, as you know. I do. There's a great line in, I think, family where someone's looking out that window and Guinan is like, yep. Everyone eventually comes and stares out this window, which is so good because it's true. Like, that's the best window to look out at the Enterprise. Yeah, it's a social space. It, it's a place where you can play games. Uh, I think you can drink booze there. Um, and uh, yeah, other than so that. So technically it's Synthahall. No, there's that's alcohol what... and Synthahall apparently on board. No, I, yeah. But Synthahall is what you get from the replicators. And then, like, behind the bar, they'll have, like, a thing of actual alcohol or something. But – but uh, so Synthahall – so I wanted to talk about that really quickly because it fi- figures into family. Yeah. Um, it doesn't get you drunk. <sighs> What's the point? Look, people do get drunk a lot on next gen but it's usually like an alien virus or they got shocked weird or they're possessed. Yeah, Romulan Ale. Uh, um, yeah, I get it. Like, you don't want... Uh, <laughs> yes, I, mean, I understand. Maybe... It's, it's literally on a fucking warship. You don't need people getting, like, ever clear toasted. I understand. I, I, I love the idea that, like, at the end of your shift, too, you have replicators that can make anything you want. And you're just like, well, I'm an alcoholic, so this is a real problem. <laughs> <laughs> So what I was thinking of is that there's there's this I, I read about years ago, this sort of like synthetic alcohol that um, doesn't dehydrate you in the same way that alcohol oh, does. Yeah. And it's not as toxic. So like the hangovers aren't as bad. And they were talking about the moral implications of having something that impairs you the way alcohol does. But one of the side effects, it does not have the sort of like a uh, uh, refractory period that, that most people have where it's like you wake up the next day and like. All right, I need to cool my jets a little bit. Um, or like, you know, you're, you're not drinking on a weeknight necessarily, or you're not drinking heavily on a weeknight because yep. you have work the next day. Like, what would be the implications of alcohol without all that? And then uh, weed became legalized. And I think they were like, let's push forward on this product. <laughs> um, so that's what I picture Synthahol as, is, is like a hangover-free alcohol. No, it's unfortunately the, uh, all, the, all the taste of a rum and coke without any of the fun. Y- yikes kill me <laughs> yeah that's why uh rob bear is like fuck you you don't taste wine <laughs> a 40 year mission uh theirs is not a uh 40 year mission oh okay okay so wait um we'll get to, we need to that's why they have family. shore leave they go to these alien plants they fuck people <laughs> they get drunk um, so what's, what's the line from aliens um uh uh uh, like uh, Carthaginian Poontang or something. <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> there's a gr- there's a really I know fun Carthage scene. is not an alien planet. <laughs> I get it. Uh, it might as well be. Time is the greatest alien of all. Um, there's a there's a good there's a really fun Arcturian uh, Poontang. There you go. Uh, there's a really good season three episode called Captain's Holiday where. They force Picard to go to Shoreleaf, and he, like, of course, doesn't want to, and he's on this planet, Ryza, which is known as the Pleasure Planet, and everyone keeps – it's very funny because you have, like, Riker going, like, just the biggest fucking Jonathan Frake smile every time he talks to the captain. Oh, okay. Like, eyebrows up. Troy's, like, asking all these things, and he goes and just gets interested in an archaeological adventure because <laughs> that's where his heart is, but still find someone to fuck. 
Um, he's like, I'm reading on the beat. Like some some woman approaches him to hit on him. He's like, I'm trying to read and get some sun. It's really it's a good episode. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I I uh, so yeah so Borg uh, Shelby versus Riker isn't that interesting? Um, but I like where I it ends think- up. I, I like the way they resolve it in the second episode, where it's like, well, we don't need this conflict anymore. And Franks is like, you know what? You're an expert. You'd make a good first officer. Like, they kind of make peace. Like, she stops being that. a little shit. What? Yeah. But he basic, he's basically like, you're going to be a great, great uh, whatever. You're going to be a great uh, first or a great captain or whatever someday. Anyways, glad you're leaving my ship. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. So let's, uh, let's really quick. There's a couple moments in Best of Both Worlds I want to talk about. Really glad you liked it. Um, I did. Sure- I, but though franchise shows are kind of the enemy of horror because I know yeah. they're going to be able to come back just as they were the next week. Um, I, I did feel a sense of like unnerved creepiness just at the fact that this race even existed. Yeah. Um, and the fact that like they blow through all those starships and obviously it has that like everything's happening off screen. One thing that First Contact does fix is like we talked about uh, while Star Trek Next Generation has like generally special effects that hold up. It doesn't have um, the budget for like compelling action scenes. And so everything feels very staged. Ships just stay like facing each other. And, uh, you know, like they're in the, you know, there's like two Borg that come up and they slowly aim their phasers. That is something that's very fun about First Contact. Now it has the budget and the scope to like really do a Borg invasion battling, you know, hundreds of starships and a lot of other stuff as well. So uh, that that is one of the funnest parts about First Contact. You almost see what you missed off screen in the best of both worlds. And it kind of lives up to your expectations or your imagination. So that's a lot of fun. Something to look forward to very soon. Uh, the music in this episode is so fucking good. Did, did you notice that? Uh, no, I didn't. I didn't this round. Can you describe it a little bit? Because I was mostly just noticing like the exciting, like we're in battle music. I didn't notice anything in particular. Yeah, it's so different than like, and they talk about this a lot um, in the composer making it too, that he really tried to make it sound different than anything that was like, you know, composing a weekly TV show is not um, exactly known for like producing some for the most, especially in the 80s, like, you just have background music, but, like, anytime the Borg would show up at the beginning, it's the oh, dun-dun-dun, oh, like, it has that, like, we have, we have like, you know, engaged the Borg, oh, bum-bum-bum, like, it was very different than anything musically that was on the show then or afterwards that's usually just background music and, like, actually has, like, a theme even with, like, almost like a vocal, whatever that, oh, like a Dark Souls fight with a few uh, giant percussive moments. Um, it which stands cool. out. Which is cool because, like, they're trying to impart a sense of uh, a little bit of, like, terror and mystery. They can't just yeah. do the normal sort of, like, we're in space and things are exciting kind of uh, yeah. a violin music. They need to they need to probably throw some uh, bass and percussion in there. Yeah. Uh, I really like... The, uh, the Borg the co- are playing Star Fox, by the way. <laughs> they're not actually playing Star Fox, but they have their big screen where they're what for some reason watching the battle, even though they're fucking plugged into a computer. Um, and they're like, there's like big like uh, circle health bars. Like it's almost like a N64 game. It's very funny to me. Yeah. Uh, we need to talk about what happens, which is probably fine if you're watching this. But essentially, yeah, the Borg show up. They actually came to Earth and Picard gets assimilated. 
Um, because they decide they're going to simulate humans, and as opposed to like a hallway that talks to people, they're like, let's have a person that people recognize, and he's the captain of their flagship. Um, so I think it like makes sense as a as a strategy, but I love anytime they try to talk to him where he's like uh it's so good where they're like they're like death is irrelevant <laughs> like death is irrelevant oh that's some spooky lovecraft shit but i also I love st- it he's like walking around like they they wake him up on the ship but he's not in combat mode he's just walking around roasting everyone he's just like data you're irrelevant as shit dude like get out of yeah. my fucking get out of my fucking way and he's just like he's walking from person to person on his on his ship like just roasting them in, in individual ways that only he would know yeah, the best part is the uh, – I, I shouldn't say the best part. That's just hyperbole that I could probably say 20 times. But one of my favorite parts is um, – which which actually – while the episode, I think, of part two doesn't meet the highs of the setup in part one, the part that actually does, which may be like the – the best moment in the entire uh, two-parter is after he says fire – and they cut to like to be concluded, and it doesn't work. And uh, he looks at uh, Riker and is like, "the the the knowledge of Picard is part of our collect- collective." And then he looks at him and says, "Resistance is futile." Number one, so good, so good that like I I know what to call you. Like I'm not Picard anymore. I'm the I'm the board collective speaking through this entity that we've renamed Lacutus. But he still says the resistance is futile, but adds the comma number one. Um. Yeah, because he's he's it's not totally assimilated. You know. No, in that part he is. It's them. He's you, that's that's why they. Guy, you know. But that's why they did it, right? It's like it'll be easier if he talks to people. That he knows and knows about the Federation as opposed to the hallway talking to everyone. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So that it's it's that like them just trying to be familiar, which is their whole plan, and not realizing what a turn of the knife it is for him to say that in that mode to Riker in that moment. Like they're not they're not meaning to be mean. That's not how the board work. They just like in their um fake familiarity hurt them in a way that like that like punching them in the face couldn't yeah that's true that's true uh other thing we have to talk about before we move on to family peter familia they did the thing that you that you liked in the encounter at farpoint well they separated the ship i love when they separate the ship saucer plus main ship it's great the main ship is kind of ugly looking without the saucer on it. But <laughs> Terrible like, looking. <laughs> it's really dumb looking, but you know, it's, it is the old Enterprise being retrofitted or whatever. Uh, it's not the old Enterprise being retrofitted. It's just taking the name. It's a whole yeah, new I Enterprise. Remember this yeah. now. I remember you fucking explained it to me and it was really boring. It's the whole um, point of the show. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> it's okay. There's, there's, uh, there's no one that's, uh, that'll let these things slide easier than Star Trek fans. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, so it's it's like uh you know it's the new version of the Enterprise, whatever. It's got new, it's got new gadgets, got new gizmos. I love when they saucer out. I think this is 
either the second or the third time they do it on the show. I don't know if they ever do it again until the movie. It is, uh, it is pretty, um... But I love that it's supposed to be a lifeboat for all the, the, the civilians and families in the saucer section, and they're like, yeah, shoot at that. <laughs> it is, uh, an interesting thing for me because, um, the idea that, okay, um, the idea that the the saucer section can just come off and it's just like it can hang out and then the main body can like go off and go do war stuff is really great because I imagine a lot of scenarios where they're like, let's leave the family here. Let's go do war stuff. And then a Klingon ship is just like, yeah, let's go blow up the saucer part. Oh, yeah. The, the thing that can't warp that's super slow with all the with the best way to hurt them. Yeah. Like, I don't understand that 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 strategy because like. If they lose their battle also with the Klingons, like that, they're just going to go wipe out the rest of the team. They're, I think they're gonna the go idea being pillage. like, we're going to go warp to this thing that's, you know, hundreds and thousands, of, hundreds of light years away. Before we go do the dangerous mission, we separate, we leave you. If we survive, we come back. They never use it for that, really, but but I think that's the point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the ship doesn't look that great without it, so uh, they wouldn't do that. Uh, I They're think like, the creepiest. Yeah, like we don't want your kids to die, but aesthetically. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm gonna go out, I'm gonna go out full saucer. Yeah. Okay. I'm not going out half saucer. Not going out zero saucer. I think the options are the whole, just full saucer. or zero, to be honest. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, you know, enough uh, Klingon uh, war torpedoes, you can maybe get a half saucer in there. Yeah, that's a thing. Klingon war torpedoes. Warpedoes. Yeah, they call them warfpedoes. <laughs> warfpedoes. That's, that's, that's the name at the deli that Worf visits that they name it. <laughs> they finally name a sub after him. <laughs> Who's getting the warfpedo? Captain. Captain. There are not literally 1,000 islands in this dressing. <laughs> uh, yeah. What else uh, you got? Uh, I love the moment that kind of ties it all together, which is um, Picard basically hinting at the trauma he's going to have to figure out in the next episode. Oh, yeah. Where he says, how much do you remember? And you're expecting like, Nothing. Let's reset to the next episode, shall we? Uh, instead, he's like, everything, um, including some unorthodox strategy. So he's simultaneously traumatized, but pushing through the trauma to be like a good captain, to be like, I saw what you did. Knocked out of the park, champ. Going to go cry in my room for a little bit. Um, you, you got this one, saucer boy? <laughs> good job, boy. I'm just <laughs> I'm going to drink my Earl tea. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Uh, uh yeah uh I'm gonna go so let's drink, let's I'm gonna go back to my room and drink synthahol uh, drink, I, drink, I feel earl earl gray tea hot Ugh. um which he orders all the time we haven't seen a lot of those episodes you'll get there peter who would uh, want to be who would want to be reminded of uh of, of what you tea. could have so yeah that leads directly into family so family very uh, I think the only Star Trek Next Generation episode, maybe one of the only Star Trek episodes ever, I don't know about the other series, that there's essentially no conflict. Um, and it's not that there's not conflict, like, in the characters themselves, but there's no conflict uh, outside of uh, interpersonal conflict. There's no extra textual 
or extra um tr- tr- what is it extra uh there's not there's nothing to try to get him yeah the romulans no, aren't trying to steal his family's grapes or something no and i mean there's you know a, there's a lot really of make the card mad like <laughs> <laughs> we need these for our ale stop stealing our grapes <laughs> um picard would be uh, livid if he found out that we stole uh we ruined his merlot batch this summer <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah this is the only one like there's a ton of episodes that focus on uh drama within the characters especially in the later seasons it's why the show got really good once it kind of figured out that it's a show about a family uh, and they talk about that extensively. Like, this is the season we realized this crew is a family and we should be doing more episodes about how that family plays off each other, how that family interacts with other people outside the family. And that's really where they kind of cracked uh, what Next Generation is compared to the original series. And uh, but But most of those still have like – Okay, they rescued the boy from the the colony who now is uh, thinks of Worf as a father figure, and uh, Worf doesn't want to be a father figure. And the show, the episode is mostly about that, but also there's an asteroid headed their way, and their their engines are broken. Like, there's always something, and this this was rare in that it doesn't have that. It also was a huge fight to get made. Um, Ryle D. Moore was like, he's just like, he literally killed his friends. Like, he has all these memories of blowing up 40 Federation starships. He, his his whole body and who he is as a person has been forced to watch while he's had no control. The idea that next week they're off on a new adventure is ridiculous. Like, let's, let's take some time and we can slow it down a little bit after this pretty momentous thing. And Gene Roddenberry specifically was adamant against it. Hated it. That's why the you reason don't let why. old people make decisions. No. <laughs> and sometimes the people that create their shit doesn't get it. And it's because Roddenberry was always very – his, like, vision of Star Trek, which was important in getting it created, was that these people are essentially perfect. And they don't have – you know, they don't feel like – uh, jealousy. They don't feel sadness. They're not a, a permanently scarred or affected by situations. Like they are able to move past stuff. And as the writers of Star Trek at the time said, like, then who wants to watch that? Like, get to know these characters. Like, that's how. Do you understand how drama works? Drama is not here's a spaceship. We blew it up. Good job. High five. Like drama is uh, getting engaged in these person's strengths and flaws and everything else. Um, so literally they – Gene Ro- – there's a there's a, a story recounted by Ronald Moore where Gene Ro- – they went into an office and they're like, here's why it's important. Here's what it's going to show. Here's why it's so like – you know, critical for us to not just skip past this the way we do every other adventure. And Gene Roddenberry like yelled at him and said no. And he's in the office with Rick Berman. I guess Gene Roddenberry leaves and Rick Berman in one of maybe the only times, I shouldn't say only times, but maybe a time he did something okay is like, write your, he says, write your script and he walks out. And they said they never heard anything about it again. They kept expecting it to get pulled. And they just kept writing it and getting it and setting it up and then, you know, sending in drafts. The drafts would come back with notes. But there was this idea that at any point they weren't going to get to do this episode. Uh, And it's so like it. First of all, 
it had me uh, surprisingly a mess. Not even so – like the card stuff got me a little – I was surprised about something that I couldn't have cared less about. Uh, the wharf parent stuff got me a little bit choked up almost every time. I'm sure oh, some yeah. of that is just the recognition as a parent myself of like um, like wh- the difficulties in raising um, like someone who eventually – like becomes their own person and like you want to support them you want to be there for them you want to let them go become their individual and how challenging that can be and like like you're not like i'm sure every parent has probably a ton a ton of moments where you're like i hope you still talk to me when you're 30 like i hope we have a relationship like you know you because you try but eventually they're going to make their own decision about what your relationship is like you know it's not as simple as like here come give me a hug before bed and so seeing like these two parents who, you know, tried so hard and are trying to respect that he's from a different culture and like, you know, you do kind of picture like, you know, 13 year old Worf, like, mom, dad, I'm a Klingon, uh, which is very funny to picture. I'm a but like, like, on, like they, they clearly are like these amazing parents who really tried to do everything and are trying to accept what relationship that their son lets them have. Um, like they're not like fuck you. You need to talk to us more. They're like okay, like we're we're going we're going to accept you no matter what. So if that no matter what is you don't come visit when you come home to Earth, then we accept that. If you're if you don't want to talk to us about what happened with your discommodation in the Klingon Empire, we won't press you. But know that every day we're hurting because we know what you're going through, and like that stuff is all like. When I was 13 was like skippable material. This whole episode was skippable material when I was 13. Like, let's get to the sci-fi stuff. And I was just like uh, completely blown away with it. I mean, I always knew it was highly regarded. I like intellectually understood why it felt important. But it really was from the Picard and the Wharf stuff was just amazingly uh, touching, which is uh, uh, Picard does go back to France while they're in space, dock and repairs, and sees his brother and his nephew and uh, Robert. Robert, they don't get along. I also love. We're not going to talk about this more. I kind of like what feels like they had a little more time to kill, and they're like, "Well, what else could we do, family wise? What if we, for no reason, devastate Wesley Crusher and don't do anything else with it?" I feel like that was ultimately a wise move because I think that the way that uh, they, they they probably recognized that there was a fan reaction to Wesley Crusher. I don't know how strong it was at the time, but. So he leaves the show this season, a few episodes into the season. It feels like it feels like they were like trying to um, they were trying to be like, OK, if, if, if Crusher didn't work for if Wesley didn't work for you before. Um, what if let's, we heard him? Let's bound, let's bound him in tragedy, which is like, honestly, like, I don't, I don't particularly mind it because like, I think seeing, understanding people's common tragedy is a really great way to humanize with them. Uh, I think seeing, I think that, 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 uh, as someone who just, just speaking sort of, uh, on a very personal level for the family episode, obviously it's, it's appropriate. Um, I was talking with Ethan Warren on Twitter this week, and I was without thinking, my and permission. It, and it was talking. <laughs> God damn it! Uh, no, 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 Aaron. Um, and I was, I was, uh, we were talking about um, something where it's like just being able to see other people as 
um, not perfect versions of themselves that they are maybe in my in my terminology, I see most people as like a bundle of anxieties that they have found, you know, uh, sort of imperfect or poorly, uh, poorly bound. I see most people as like sort of bundles of anxiety that they have poorly bound up with coping mechanisms, right? Um, and like once I sort of started seeing people like that, it made dating a lot easier. It made interviews a lot easier. It made like being in the office space with people a lot easier. Like just seeing people as people with weaknesses and past traumas and and and, and, and past heartaches that have like informed who they are and how they approach you and how you guys talk like – all of that actually really makes me like like people more. The fact that yeah. people are imperfect and, and, and that people do, you know, maybe people act more cocky because like they've been hurt before and they need to cover up some sort of uh, some sort some sort of failure in the past or some sort of loss in the past. And like, I feel like that's a great way to endear us to a bunch of characters that like with Crusher. I didn't really like him for obvious reasons. Um, Wesley, I should say um, I like I like his mom. Um, but Wesley, I, 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 it seems like kind of an obvious thing why you wouldn't like him. He's just a little punk kid. He's doesn't really know like. I don't know. He doesn't have the like dramatic uh, import needed. I don't blame the actor at all. I blame the writing. Um, yeah, he does. I mean, and the it is a little unfair too because at this point you've seen thirteen episodes. There are good Wesley Crusher episodes. You just haven't seen them. Yeah, and I'm not. So yeah, I'm not saying that that you know it, it completely redeemed him in my eyes. But like when I see people be weak, I see people shuck off their their cockiness, shuck off their sort of professional sense to 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 you know constantly be um, constantly be perfect. It actually makes me like people a lot more. Like it, it, it like it's also like you know in a stupid way like that that is also the thinking behind like you know team happy hours. <laughs> Um, like the idea of well, seeing your sucks, boss a little, it? <laughs> yeah. yeah, like seeing your boss in a little bit more of a, a little bit more of a, 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 a more vulnerable place sometimes uh, makes you like them a little bit more. Yeah. I think the best way for my employees, if I showed them like, here's my dad saying he loves me right before he dies when I was a baby, I think they'd give me better 360 reviews. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah I, I yeah yeah but like you know what i mean like seeing people seeing people vulnerable humanizes yeah. them and makes them it's sort of an obvious point but seeing people vulnerable um it kind of humanizes them and makes them uh more interesting even if you didn't really like the way the character was set up yeah and it works so here really well on three types of characters uh wesley who didn't really like uh Worf who I love but I don't really I didn't I didn't need that and then yeah. um Picard who I love but I I didn't I didn't realize it but I I did also need that I needed yeah, I needed to see his roots I needed to see why he acts the way he does why he's such a hard-nosed you know a uh, dick at times like why he acts that way like I needed to see it It's so important to humanizing him because like what's so funny about people like a Picard right um, and, and there's people like this um, all over the world that you've interacted with. And, and Peter, you're probably this to someone and I'm probably this to someone is like these people who, especially in a work setting, which we see Picard in, they're just like, OK, well, he's the captain. They're the boss. Like, I can't imagine that person like they're they're 
They're pretty buttoned up. They don't really let loose. Like, the idea that that person has, like, uh, failings, like, personal failings, and ways they've messed up in their life, and things they regret, and, like, are, like, struggling to put together that facade, it almost seems, like, impossible. Like, you know it must exist for the most part because every human does that, but, yeah, they're, you know, they're just, like, they're, they're this person. They're, you know, they're Prakash. They're... He's, you know, he sometimes gets annoyed at some things that are annoying, but, like, the idea that he's conflicted, the idea that, like, he was, like, a kind of a brown-nosing brat who was, like, uh, who kind of rubbed it in his brother's nose how much better he was at stuff and, like, and, like, he doesn't have his stuff together. And that's why, like, so we've talked about this on We Love to Watch, uh, that, like, you know, especially as we've grown up, we become like we've become people that we're generally proud of, right? Like we're always still trying to get better and and do better and you know continue on that trajectory. But hopefully, we feel like we're centered. We have a level of maturity. We're able to handle things a little bit better than we, especially in comparison to our youth. And then all of a sudden, we'll be around our family and like. You know, I'm sure, Peter, that you sometimes, like, embarrassed yourself in front of Molly. I know I've been, like, a little bit embarrassing, especially in retrospect, in front of my family at just, like, oh, yeah, I got into a petty argument with my mom and we just were, like, immediately kind of yelling. And I don't yell at anybody in my life, period. Uh, but yes, but my mom yes. and I were, like, what do you mean? Like, are you kidding me? Are you, like, it's just, like. And it's because, like, all of a sudden that, like, opening up those old wounds, like, you just become someone that you don't recognize anymore when you're around certain people from your youth. And then you're embarrassed about it because you're like, what the fuck was that? Like, I have – that's not who I am anymore. And then all of a sudden it all just pours out of you in this thing that, like, you're you're super conscious about now, too. Like, you're super self-conscious about it. You're just like, oh, fuck. Like – I really was like a 14-year-old around my mom to other people present where I'm like, mom, are you kidding? Like, it's just like, what happened? I'm 35 years old. You know? Yeah. Where did this come from? And uh, and to see Picard like that is just so important because you we see him around his work colleagues. Like, we don't get to see that. And to see him like – not be perfect in every moment and have all these things from his past he's embarrassed about and doesn't want to talk about when Robert brings him up and then kind of has a breakdown like fuck you and punches his brother you know he doesn't punch like he doesn't punch fucking uh, some alien entity who just killed half his crew when he's angry like he doesn't punch Q when he gets annoyed even though Q could take it and his brother says a few things and he turns around and just fucking wipes him out across the face it is so like I get that. And then, of course, being Picard who he is, he's going to feel super like, oh, I'm the captain of the fucking flagship of the Federation. Like, yeah. yeah. And I just punched him? Yeah. I, I feel that. I've talked about in the show how, like, my sister, who I've gotten so much closer with over the past, like, five, seven years, whatever, um, built... Yeah. Uh, she is the one person on the Earth who, like, if she wants to... And she doesn't often want to. She can make me, like, fucking livid in, like, 18 seconds. Like, yeah. my brother can't do that to me because my brother and I always grew up with a pretty close relationship. Um, my, 
my my dad probably can but you know that's a different thing uh my sister and i though because we grew up together and like we had an antagonistic relationship for many years like she knows my buttons and she put she can push them inadvertently i'm not saying it's the same thing because like they're literally on like a war mission like going away war is a very different uh thing you know not war mission but they're going away uh on conflict heavy things where they could die every week and like i live moving across the country for my sister and then coming back and like having these like moments of like almost like take seconds like deep connection yeah is like it's very powerful and it's very humbling to know that like i have built a persona but that doesn't mean that that persona is is actually necessarily one to one with who i've always been yeah who i will be in the future and like seeing that you're like i like picard has clearly built this face he's like this is how i got through this is how this is how i stayed ambitious this is how i worked through the system this is where i got where this is how i got where i am today and then he he goes home and he's sort of like he's doing what a lot of us do which is like um i it's it's gonna be painful and troubling but i need to go back I need to have these points of conflict. I need to, you know, connect with these people while I have the opportunity. Otherwise, like, it's, it's just, it just doesn't feel right. Like, he's mag- magnetically drawn to this, even if it means probable conflict. Yeah. Uh, exactly. Like, that. those personas, like, which are you, but they just, like, there's the other you that is still exists. Like, you're not, you're not fully gone from it, and... And it's why, like, he avoids going back. I'm sure there's a part of him that, like, looks back on those things and gets super embarrassed about them. He doesn't like, like, no one likes those. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Those My moments when you yelled at each other in a way where I'm like, that is a deeply embarrassing fucking thing to have said to a human being uh after and after the age of 18 like i'm not i am not a child anymore what the fuck oh i know (laughs) but like how many things do you like look back on like when you were 16 or 17 like i still remember driving i was 16 years old and i was driving with my girlfriend and my parents had just done something shitty and like as i'm driving i was so like overcome with like that overwhelmed thing that i like lift i was driving a bronco and i lifted up my foot and i kicked the dash and I remember my girlfriend being like, oh, what the fuck was that? I, even I was like, what the fuck was that? But, like, I can look back at that and just be like, oh, what a deeply embarrassing moment. <laughs> like, yeah. uh, and the idea of, like, having to go and relive those moments uh, and it, it's so, like, universal of all those times that ma- people made you react in a way that you don't want to be. And I shouldn't say made you react because I don't want to sound like, oh, well, sorry, you made me do this with your actions. But like that that ultimately, you know, those those kind of like relationships where there's no equivalent, like your parents and your brothers and sisters, those, you know, those are deep seated things that don't that don't shed easily. And it is it is also like the one thing I've learned, too, is that I'm that person to people in my family. My brother Luke and I, you know, are two years apart. We were best friends, but we we had a lot of like things back and forth. But there is over the years where we got along and we didn't get along, even when we were kids. We hung out so much. There's so many of those like, well, you remember when you took my Legos and you smashed them all? Like, does that apply to adult life? No, you were 11. But do I still have a lot of like anger towards you probably deep down about that? Yeah. And I remember this one time, like, my I was camping with my brother Luke, and a week before that he had told me that he didn't want me to spray mosquito stuff near him. And then I was, like, absentmindedly spraying mosquito stuff 
And I didn't even notice he was there. We were just camping and there was tons of mosquitoes. And he like walked up to me and was like, get that one. Like he like slapped it out of my face and pushed me, like slapped the mosquito bottle out of my hand and then started like yelling like um, he was like he was like 30, <laughs> like yelling, maybe 28, like yelling indiscriminately. About, you always do this. You don't care. And I was just like, what? The? I'm just spraying. I'm getting eaten alive here. Buddy, we're we're camping and like I camping now camping in the Midwest, hundred percent humidity. <laughs> yeah, but like now I can recognize that like oh that's like you know this is after he like he came back from fucking uh, you know Thailand studying Buddhist stuff and you know and he comes here's him one who's like who's like really into Buddhist philosophy. I can tell you were listening very closely <laughs> and and calm and all but like you know. That, yeah, sorry. Uh, yeah, but he's like doing that's some the thing. shit over there. I don't know. He says I never listened to him. No, but he, but he studied. But I'm saying like this is like he was. He is like I'm Zen and I'm calm and stuff yes. like that. And then like and then like he. I can't imagine how he did apologize. And of course, it's like yeah, I'm sorry. Like you know, but like for that was his moment of like, did you just fucking lose your? You've been studying at a Buddhist temple in Thailand for six months and you lost your fucking mind and slapped it on my hand and screamed and sweared at me because I sprayed mosquito stuff on myself? <laughs> you, you you, are the man that made the Dalai Lama uh, call, yeah. you, call you a bitch and then slap you. <laughs> yeah, but like I'm the I'm – the ro- like as much as I feel like Picard sometimes, I also have realized I'm a Robert to a lot of – you know, I'd be, I'm the oldest. How but could I not I, be a Robert? I like the idea of Robert though. He's like – you're here for a reason. Let's get to it. And Picard is like, I mean, did you read is, the Picard reports? Is scamming, Picard is scamming on uh, his wife a little bit, right? Is he doing no, that? No, no. The problem is, here's the problem with Patrick Stewart. He's just really sexy. Yeah. I don't think he's scamming. So do you think that this is like a big coming out episode for Picard that he like came out as French? Um, it is weird that they made him French. He's extremely French. But he's, he's like, at, oh, I need to go see the family or the family vineyard. No, my like, brother, yeah, they definitely, brother, like, Robert. he drinks. Yeah, he drinks Earl Grey. His, I mean, his name is Jean-Luc. Like, he's, he's French, but, like, he has an English accent. Which I guess means that at some point England took over France. The, the uh, second 100-year war could have happened. I don't know. What is this, like, 2300? 2500 i like that like yeah eventually it happened again yeah oh you thought we were just allies you thought world war ii made us bosom buddies as they say fuck you france <laughs> i i uh, i also like that the this isn't just one of those episodes where it's like it doesn't feel like it's a budget saver episode they actually like went to a location in a way that like yeah it does not feel typical of the show good map good map paintings yeah, I love I love the vineyard and how like that you can tell there's actual like plants somewhere around uh, yeah. in some of the shots, um, and uh, I love how they blend that with um, Kirk being sort of um, drawn back to Earth with this job offer basically where he's like because he now he's a war hero and he's been proven as like a team leader and so he's getting job offers to basically yeah that's like, help that's what the ocean that's what's floor and create a new continent. <laughs> I love yeah. I love the I love the way you described it though. Like, oh, Captain of the Enter like the flagship of the whole Starfleet cross you'd make a good team leader. <laughs> like what is his rep what is his like comparable skill set other than can handle difficult projects? So he is like uh the thing about Picard is that he's like 
extremely like uh, scientific and like you know that's why he's like throw this like he's he's generally and they kind of talk about this episode like he didn't just like do well in Starfleet he wasn't just a good grunt he's like you know one of the smartest people around oh so he's got he's got a galaxy brain is what you're saying yeah he's a he's a classic galaxy brainer um and so they're like your gal take your galaxy brain to the next galaxy the bottom of the ocean make us a new continent and when i was watching this i was like is this obligation or is this objection gonna be that this seems horrific for the ecology of the earth um yeah apparently and then it not splits into it splits into a uh parallel uh universe where he takes the job and then you get sequest dsv and, and he's played by roy schneider <laughs> It's it's it, 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 it the project seems bad. I thought he was going to object, but he was like, "No, making a new continent seems sick." Um, I do like the idea that cause they mentioned, like, "Hey, we kind of have a whole planet to explore right here." If anyone ever went down in the the fucking ocean, that at some point they got space travel, and like no one ever thought to go, like, we could transport anywhere. I mean, it <laughs> we is, can really I mean, do anything. They're like, "Oh yeah, oceans. Yeah, forgot about that." It's because it's spooky down there, dude. Do you think that's why? Yeah, it's too spooky. Oh yeah, exploring other planets, other galaxies. We'll go into a wormhole, but in the it's cold and spooky. I think jellyfish are spookier than worms. So have I'd they're like, have you seen the abyss? What if there's an alien down there? They're like, I'm an alien. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'd probably be like, hey Ted. Oh yeah, that thing. We've been looking for Ted. That's. Yeah. Uh, uh, that's one of the reasons I want to go down there. I lost my best friend. Can we can we briefly talk about? It's not the place for it. Can we briefly talk about how the proper nouns and uh, proper nouns in Star Trek are very dumb, like uh, Betazoid. Every time I say Betazoid, I, I I feel a little dumber. Would you feel better if it was Alphazoid? Uh, yeah, yeah. That's the problem. Is, is that you, uh, is that it's a low T zoid? Yeah, I mean, of course. Th- of course, uh, they're betas. They're don't they don't wear the normal uniforms? Yeah, yeah. Because like I, I don't mind. Like I think the the show is actually very smart and thoughtful, um, and 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 is actually like an interesting thing. But I think that one thing that pushes people away from the show is that uh, their their ability to pick proper nouns is often very bad. People's names are very dumb. Very often, people's yeah. races are definitely dumb. I'm gonna isolate that audio and use it to make sure you never get a job again <laughs> good thing i'm editing baby yeah you're I'm canceled though peter an episode that's just that tripled you don't want to get canceled uh yeah i uh i know where they we're call them, like the consolide the problem is we could, I, I could definitely talk about this forever uh and we made it almost as long i mean as if the borg or cyborgs then canceled people would be the cell right yeah and then once you get inside their clan, you're the incel because you're because <laughs> you're in the mind of the board. You're in. Oh the cell. no 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 no! I got kicked out. I'm an outcell. It's fine. <laughs> I can be reintroduced to normal society. Uh, but yeah, I like I love I love Guinan and Worf's human parents. Uh, I did start tearing up at both that, but um, <clears throat> the idea of reconnecting with family is something that uh, I think is is particular to 
my uh, crying triggers. Like that's yeah. partially why even bad Christmas movies sometimes make me cry. Yeah. Where I'm like, I just You're like the idea of no like one. everybody off doing their own shit, and then they're like, we need to find an excuse to to get back together. Like ultimately, at the end of the day, like we understand each other in a way no one else does. Uh, yeah. I agree. No, this uh, these are really good episodes. Um, I actually think like the family is the one that f- affected me the most, but partially I think that's because I've seen Best of Both Worlds so many goddamn times. Um, because I was a little bit of a Borg hound, and I wanted that Borg, and there was not not that much Borg. Like I said, there's essentially. Uh, if you count two parters as one episode, there's four episodes. Yeah. Uh, so you weren't of, bored of Borg. You were engorged by Borg. I was engorged by Borgs. And uh, my engorgement um, was unsated most of the time because it's not that much Borg. And then, But it shows you you don't want that much Borg because the next two Borg episodes, they were like, well, we don't want to do the same thing. Uh, and they, they, they made it not like they're good episodes but they're not like the they're not this like faceless emotionless entity they are all about like uh, a Borg gets disconnected from the collective and they teach him to be a person type thing and then eventually that Borg reintroduces himself to other another like sect of Borgs that are also separated and like teach them individuality and it's like what happens when these Borgs get taught individuality uh, good episodes, but not really like the Borg scariness that we we see here. We don't really get that again till the movie. And then, I again, I never got to any of the Borg episodes on Voyager, but they basically become the main constant antagonist because Voyager – I don't know if you know this, Peter. So the whole plot of Voyager is that um, the ship gets sent to the Delta Quadrant, which would take them about 80 years to get back to Federation space at like – top light speed and that's where the board come from so oh so they yeah okay and that's far enough away that <clears throat> they can never really come back well they they try to i think like at the end spoilers they do in the, the finale after seven years they get back to earth uh, but voyager uh, got seven years is it a good show or a bad show uh not so good that's a good. I I've never seen a so the parts that people say do get good i've never seen i've i've seen Part I've seen the first season and a half in its entirety, um, and then have seen some other like season two and three episodes when I used to catch it uh, when it was on. Like sometimes be like, "Oh fuck, Sulu's in this episode or a Q episode." I got to check it out, uh, and I would I would make a point to record it, but um, but never watched um, much past then. And then uh, it was like. Seven, eight years ago when I was on Netflix, I'm like, I'm going to watch all of Voyager. And about, uh, yeah, about 30 episodes. And I'm like, maybe, maybe I'm not going to watch all of Voyager. Maybe um, just a few. Uh, so one of these days I always like fantasize that I'll go back and watch it all. But I, who knows? Um, that's what I do. I just sit at home, engorged by the thought of Borg. Engorged by the Borg. About, and thinking about watching 140 episodes of a subpar Star Trek. God, yeah, the, that, that gorge makes you... Yeah. Um, but yeah, I have one question though. Yeah, one Speaking question. Engorged, wrap it up. One, one, one engorged question. Do you think that Robert actually, at the end of the episode, was trying to encourage him to go off, become his own man, reach as far as he can, or 
Do you think that he saw how close uh, Picard and Marie are, and he was like, if if he stays here any longer, he's gonna fuck my wife. I think at the end when they watch um, Renee outside watching stars, and there he's like, you know what? Let's not call him in yet. He can decide what he wants to do out there. He's actually like, hey, the kid's outside. I want to fuck my wife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's that's it. We've 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 now prepped. I think successfully for the first two movies. So what's going to happen is um, next uh, next episode is going to be the two next generation episodes. Data lore. And brothers, and the movie Star Trek Generations, and then we're going to do a little bit of a two for prep, where Peter, guess what? We're going back to the original series for an episode called Metamorphosis. That's right, Peter. We're going to do an original series episode before First Contact. What? Uh, and we're also going to do. I was wondering when you were going to take us back, baby. And then we're going to do a more thematically related episode that I that I do like and want to get to that I mentioned on this episode, Starship Mine, which is Picard as John McClane stuck in the rafters of his own starship uh, and for and Star Trek First Contact. And then we'll, we'll be continuing on with Star Trek Insurrection and Who Watches the Watchers as the uh, episode pairing. And I haven't quite decided what we're doing yet for Star Trek Nemesis because that's going to be some unloading Romulan stuff before we get into the reboot. Uh, so we'll stay there. But the next three episodes are the first three movies. And those are your episodes to watch. Data Lauren Brothers, Metamorphosis, and uh, Starship Mine. And who watches the Watchers? So I'm I'm really excited to get into these movies, Peter. Um, I'm glad you've enjoyed the adventure so far. And remember, um, Star Trek uh, watching is not as Q would say for the faint of heart. Um, you can't keep watching if you don't want to get a bloody ear from hearing me talk about Star Trek facts for as long as I did. Is that is that like a reference to the earworm thing? No, it's kind of a reference to like you, you don't come out here if you can't take a bloody nose oh. line. But I mean, it's pretty specific, and that feels very unfair to you. Yeah, yeah, I didn't, I didn't get that. But no, what I did get a great time with some Trek. I'm excited about our next episode, Aaron. Q snap. Oh, I, I disappeared. You didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> Good night to me. Q snap because he Q snapped. Oh. Q snap. I kept coming back and leaving again. <laughs> yeah, is this your version of uh, you can't shoot me, I have double plus uh, armor? Exactly that. Thank you so much for listening to We Love to Watch.
If you made it to the end, hopefully you liked what you heard today. And if you'd like to hear more, please go to patreon.com slash we love to watch. And if you can chip in a few bucks, that would really help us keep the lights on and keep us moving forward. Uh, it wasn't an implicit threat by Peter. He just didn't know how to say it. But either way, we'll continue to make more. But it would be helpful uh, as we explain to our loved ones where all our money is going, which is all on server space. Uh, <laughs> if you can't, <laughs> uh, if you don't have a few bucks to chip in, we totally understand. And you want to support the show. Show, we truly absolutely would appreciate a uh, review on iTunes. I know every podcast says it and it's because it really does help. And so every podcast wants that help. So please go leave us a positive review so that when people find this show organically, they hopefully want to tune in and listen. And thanks again for all of your listenership and support and time throughout the years. Uh, we really do appreciate you uh, with kisses and smooches. Peter and Aaron. <laughs>